0: Marshall, the meter reader, comes through in the clutch. The Hawkeyes win another Hawkeye-esque game, this time in Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, 13-10. to 10. These scores are getting easier and easier to predict. As crazy as that sounds, Iowa consistently does this, and they are the deviation from the mean of college football. In every way imaginable. They are the outlier and they have been the outlier and continue to be the outlier week after week and year after year. We welcome in the man of the hour or the next two hours, I should say. Coach John Patterson is with me. Don, it's good to see you.
1: Good to see you, Corey.
0: (laughs) So uh, before we get to, I want to ask you about Marshall Reader. We're going to talk all about this win. I'll ask you the same question, though I've asked you so many times before. How does Iowa do it?
1: Well, you won't be surprised to no, know I've never talked to Marshall Reader in my life. I think I'll look him up the next chance I have.
0: Marshall, um, real quick, Marshall Meter.
1: I'm sorry, Marshall Meter. Did I say Reader?
0: <laughs> Just to make sure we're clear on that, he is I'm the meter. meter. I have coined that. Uh, maybe somebody else came up with this. Way. I have coined him the Meter Reader from now on. But, um. Don, I mean that's as gutsy of a call. I mean, first of all, and I tweeted this out at halftime. The decision was made at halftime to go with Marshall for the second half at place kicker. Drew Stevens had obviously struggled in the first half. Had had two kicks blocked. Had an extra point blocked a week prior. Also missed a long field goal. Mm-hmm. That's uh, atypical for him last week. So they go with. They basically made it clear at halftime. Hey, we're going with Marshall in the second half unless we have a fifty-plus yarder uh, at the end of the game. And in this case, uh, they were able to knock off a big run from LaShawn Williams on that final drive and got Iowa within meters uh, range, if you will. The guy has never seen the field at Iowa. I I don't think he's ever been on the field, has he, Don? Have I missed him?
1: Not to my knowledge.
0: And he did not uh, handle kick—he was not expected to handle kickoffs in the second half. He did not. Drew Stevens had the only kickoff in the second half, which did go out of bounds. We'll talk about Drew's struggles here in a little bit.
1: The second kickoff to go out of bounds,
0: too. Second of the day to go out of bounds. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about Drew Stevens and, and where his head might be right now uh, in a little bit. But uh, again, Iowa with the thirteen to ten win. And Don, I want to jump to this right away. We could have went a lot of different directions with our RTI Threads Player of the Game. I just have such a hard time not going with a young man like this. I mean, I just cannot imagine being put in that situation. Last game of the season, you know, game on the line. He's never played at Iowa. By the way, his numbers at Central Michigan last year were not the best. And so I think it's part of the reason why he moved on. But Kirk Ferentz said after the game on his uh, CBS interview that he's been practicing really well. And uh, that kick didn't have a whole lot of distance, Don. But
1: <laughs> the it did go easy. Better clear, yeah, I'm right.
0: So uh, just talk I about bar. I'm sorry. I, I know I recall a story of, you always tell about a guy named Mike Cypress who was a punter, but came in for a long game-winning kick in a big game. But have you ever seen, have you ever been in a situation like this as a coach where you had to put in a guy who's never seen the field on your football team in a moment this big?
1: I lost you, Corey. Don, have you
0: ever ever been in a situation where you've had to put a kicker on the field in this situation who's never seen the field on your your football team? Has that ever happened with you as a coach?
1: Mike had certainly seen the field, of course, because he was an all-star, all-conference punter, I should say. And uh, he had also kicked really well in practice. It was kind of an interesting situation because our starting kicker, Mike was a putter and not a kicker. You know, most coaches would certainly prefer to not have one player do both. Uh, But Joe Lopez, our kicker, had been ill for a few days with the flu, and Mike had kicked really well in practice. And so when Joe struggled in in the Unidome against Northern Iowa, Um, I said, Mike, you're our, you're our guy. He warmed up with a couple of PATs, and then he went on the field and kicked a 56-yard field goal to win the game. So a little longer kick than the one we saw today. Uh, but still, you know, what this young man was able to accomplish today is very impressive, you know, because it's more of a movie script than it would be a, a recount of a typical college football game.
0: I had a hard time, into those. Was- getting prepped for this show again. I just ha- I kept coming back to the moment and the fact that this kid's never been on the field at Iowa. So he is our RTI threads player of the game. By the way, I've got my RTI threads, Cooper DeGene sweatshirt on again. Uh, by the way, I-, I think if, if Cooper DeGene had been playing in this game, Don, I know Iowa plays in a lot of claim close games, regardless. I don't think this game would have been this close. Not that Iowa would have scored a bunch more points. I don't know that Nebraska would have scored because frankly, uh, the busted play on the super explosive in that first half, I don't think would have happened had Cooper DeGene been in the game. Well, we don't know that, but that's just kind of what I presume. Um, I, I would also, you got to give a, an honorable shout out to um, Leshawn Williams. He has been kind of under the radar all year, just really solid. And line play hasn't always been the best, but today 16 carries a buck, 13 or excuse me, a buck, 11 net yards. It did have the 53 yard run, but boy, a big, breakaway run there at the end almost broke loose with the touchdown set up the the game-winning field goal how good has he been in spite of up and down offensive line play
1: well you have to give him credit for being the the most reliable of all three backs and you've heard me brag on all three of them I'm glad we have all three I have no problem with us playing all three but if I had to pick one that's played better than the other two it would have to be LeSean
0: we did see Caleb Johnson start today he was the first guy out in the field Right. Um, maybe a little bit of a reward for his heroics last week.
1: I'm and, sure.
0: and that's fine. But uh you're right about uh LeShawn being the bell cow and the most consistent back for Iowa. And I also thought about just naming Ethan Herkett the player of the game because you know he doesn't grab that interception. You know, we may not even see overtime. Uh it's it's possible we don't even see overtime, Don. You're um right. But that's the type of play that, again, uh, not saying it was Phil Parker's best day in the world. I'm sure he's going to be looking back at that super explosive and kicking himself all week for that, even though they held this team to 10 points. But his guys seem to always make big plays in big moments, whether it's a defensive lineman getting up for a pick or a cornerback making a pick or a strip sack, whatever the case may be. I recall just a few years ago, Zach Van Valkenburg with kind of a weird fumble slash interception on a weird play near the line. Uh, late in the game that uh, ended up helping Iowa seal the deal in that one. And how many game-winning kicks are we going to see in this series? Whether we're talking Miguel Recinos, Caleb Shudak, Keith Duncan, and now Marshall Meter. And and by the way, I'll say this too. I think Drew Stevens will be back. I know people were kind of ripping me during the game for coming to his defense a little bit. He is struggling right now. There's no question about it. But that kid's got good character, and I think he'll be back. Um, This has got to be a low point for him. But I wouldn't be surprised if – you know, he they play Nebraska next year and he kicks a, a game winner to make it five different kickers in the last seven years to to win this game.
1: Well, the immediate question as it pertains to place kicking, is who's gonna go out for a game winning kick next weekend in Indianapolis.
0: <laughs> well, like like I've said before, uh, I, I think Drew is the best kicker on the roster. I don't think it's even close. You look at what he did last week or excuse me, last year. Um, You know, he hit just hit a game winner a few weeks ago. What would you attribute his struggles to today? I mean, I know you're not talking to Drew. There was a, a comment here in the chat from OS for Hawks. He says, my buddy texted me, said Drew Stevens might have a toe issue. That is not true. And I understand you're just repeating a rumor. I can tell you that is not the case. He's not dealing with a toe issue. That is not the root of the problem here. But, Don, tell us what your thoughts are on the on the Drew Stevens struggles, because we've not seen him struggle like we have in the last couple of weeks.
1: Well, he- um, I don't mind sharing with the listening audience the conversation we had at halftime. You asked me a, a question, and you just wanted my professional opinion. Um, who gets more blame on the block field goals? And I told you at the time, I said, I believe I have to assign more blame to Drew. Uh, now, that may not be fair, because it's hard to tell for sure where the balls were. But it looked to me like both of them had a trajectory that was... A little on the low side, and and uh, and here's a point to be made. First off, uh, if you, nowadays you don't see many edge rushers block field goals. It's always j- jump rushers that block field goals, inside rushers. You know that that get some kind of push, and then try to gather themselves and and get a hand up. And if you're lucky, you get a piece of the ball every now and then. Uh, but to have it happen twice today. Honestly, as I look back at those kicks, the ball came out a little low, I thought. Um yes, and, I Yeah, and uh, in that regard, I had to assign a little more resp- – I won't use the word blame. A little more responsibility for the block field goal to fall on, on Drew, I think, versus even our offensive line. Um, the line gave up a little bit of a, little bit of a surge, I, I guess. Uh, obviously, every little inch matters when you're trying to block a field goal. You just need to get a piece of the ball in so many cases. Uh, But for whatever reason, the the balls came out low. Just a thought I would have. uh, I know a lot of people would say you kick kick a 50-yard field goal exactly like you kick a 20-yard field goal. You drive the ball. Well, you you think about it, that's a little bit silly to think that way because obviously from a 50-yard standpoint, the ball has to be a little bit lower trajectory to get there. But from the 20-yard line or even the 10-yard line, in the case of a PAT, I guess it would be the 11-yard line because we spot the ball eight yards, you have a chance just to undercut the ball a little more and have it leave the leave your foot at a higher trajectory. You're not concerned about distance, obviously. You're just concerned about it being between the uprights and not being blocked. And so there is an argument for, for uh, hitting a different ball on a PAT or a short field goal then you do it a longer
0: ball. Don, one thing that jumps out, uh, off the box score when I'm looking through the, the stat sheet here, 10 targets for Nico Ragaini this evening. It seems like a little bit much. I mean, I, I don't want to seem overly critical about a, a subject that we've been critical of in the opposite direction, not targeting receivers enough, but boy, uh, two catches on 10 targets. And I, cause some of those were not the best of throws from Deacon Hill, but Nico right. did not have his best game.
1: Right. Um, you're right about that. I think they have a lot of confidence in Nico for his ability to catch, his ability to get open, too. He does understand better than the younger guys how to run routes. Uh, incidentally, that one ball that they came back and said, well, I think I'd have to count that as a drop against Nico. One reason I think Nico wasn't able to control it, I'm thinking about the slant route. Remember that one? Um, there was a dropping defensive lineman again that didn't didn't get a piece of the ball, but but um got a little bit in the way of the throw. The throw had to go a little bit inside of him, which made it a little bit high and a little bit extended for Nico. Uh, and I think that defender was a little bit in the line of sight as Nico was running his route, you know. So I think that was a little bit of an issue is that Nico didn't pick the ball up quite as quickly. Nico might simply say, I dropped it, it's that simple. But it looked to me like a difficult uh, chance, I know, Lisa asked me, she said, how do you explain some of these drops? And I said, well, you got to realize your hands lose a little bit of sensitivity when they get cold. Um, I think you asked me at halftime, you said, what about, what about the, the drop in the end zone by Caleb? And I said, well, he tried to body catch it. You know, he didn't try to catch it with his hands. And you asked why? And I said, well, maybe he had, felt like he lost a little feeling in his fingers didn't have a lot of confidence he could catch it of course with his hands hence he tries to body catch it and the ball goes through uh, i don't think they're going to throw it much better <clears throat> location was perfect i guess a better opportunity would have been the same location with a little less velocity but let's face it down there you heard me say if you're going to throw in the <clears throat> to the front pylon uh, you better not throw it late right <clears throat> So in that regard, the ball's got to be thrown with a lot of with a lot of a lot of velocity, and it was. I mean, it was a good throw; should have been caught, obviously.
0: All right, um, a <laughs> couple things here. First of all, I have to acknowledge this. I, I think it's funny. Now, now, Bob, appreciate you being here. But when you say I never did agree with Corey on Stevens, I love the opportunists uh, out there that uh, jump on a narrative because it's convenient. Uh, Drew Stevens, once again, I'll remind everybody. Was uh, 24 of 24 on extra points last year and 16 of 18 on field goals. So, um, you know, just because you don't have a platform and, and and you know not you're not making your voice heard doesn't mean you called it all the way along. Uh, and by the way, Drew Stevens, this is not the last we've seen of Drew Stevens. The kid will be back, and um, he's having a rough time right now. Regardless, I can tell you, I was told on a pretty good authority, pretty good source that uh, Drew is dealing with a bit of a groin issue. That uh, perhaps uh, sprung up during this past week. Now that doesn't necessarily explain the low kick against um, Illinois last week, but I can tell you that during practice, a uh, there was a little bit of a groin issue that came up against D- Drew Stevens this week. That uh, again, not making excuses for the low kicks. I don't know how to what to attribute that to, but that that is out there as well. Uh, let's get to our uh, super chats. Lemansky, first of all, says cold day, good punning. Tory handled. Bad bad snap at the winning field goal. Love Torrey Taylor. Uh, That's maybe the area of his game that we don't talk about enough. Don, he only averaged 42.4 on seven punts today and a long uh, 49. Windy day and uh, obviously very cold. Two punts inside the 20 without his gunner, Cooper DeGene. And he's the guy who was responsible on that last hold. So give Torrey Taylor credit. We're going to miss him. Appreciate the super chat, Lemansky, And he adds with the super chat. Uh, Coach Don, the switching kickers at the end, guessing LeVar Woods had to bless or make that decision. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good
1: question. I'd like to know the answer to that myself.
0: I can tell uh, you the I, answer. I, I can tell you the answer, Don, if you'd like to know. That was a Kirk decision. Okay. Was but I,
1: it, it was a Kirk decision, I'm sure. But the, the question I would have, did Kirk check with Lavar for his recommendation? Ultimately, it's a Kirk decision. I would like to know if Lavar Le, and if Lavar Le, recommended making the change.
0: And um, I do know that, uh, again, Kirk said after the game during his postgame interview that Marshall has been really good in practice. So that's a good sign. Cinnamon Sugar, appreciate the super chat here as well. Thank you for the donation. And uh, Eric, thank you for your donation. He says this game is quintessential reason why Brian is losing his job. Defense bailed out the team plus Nebraska's stupidity at the end. Uh, Jeff says uh, one of the worst coaching jobs I've seen on both sides of the ball. Well, you can look at it that way, Jeff. You can also argue it's one of the best head coaching jobs that you've ever seen. Because how a head coach leads a team in a Power 5 conference to 10-2, and yes, it's not a good division, but 10-2 and in one-score games after injury, after injury, after injury, after injury, injury, and an inept offense is pretty incredible. And I don't think Phil Parker maybe coached his best game today. Um, And we can talk about maybe why that is. But I don't agree with that take. Can you talk a little bit about the explosive play? We don't normally see Iowa give up big plays. What happened on the the big touchdown catch in the first half for Nebraska?
1: Yeah, and I don't mind sharing with the viewing audience again, Corey. We discussed that at halftime, too. Uh, The comment I made, I was upset at the time because I was pretty sure even that Phil Parker would have said, that's on me. I think that's probably what he would have said. Um for this reason it was third and extra long, I think, wasn't it? Let me see. It's third yeah, and eleven. Third and eleven on the minus thirty-four. Iowa fakes three safety blitz. We had both safeties acting as if they might be rushing. Um the only problem with that is they didn't come. But all they did was peel off to combo on the on the inside receivers on both sides. I believe it was empty as I recall. I think it was three by two, because um, the one that peeled off on the trip side, comboed on number three receiver, which left Deshaun Lee man-to-man on num- number two. Uh, Deshaun got beaten badly to the post. Nice throw. Great execution on their part. But I'm pretty sure that Phil Parker would have said, that was a bonehead play on my part. I'm suspecting he would say that. Because who are we, why are we trying to get cute on third and 11th? I don't mind faking a blitz even, but you got to get back into coverage so that you have your usual help over the top, and we didn't have that.
0: Um, Okay, Uh, let's see. Comment here, Super Chat, from Leon. Leon says, if we can switch kickers mid-game, why can't we switch quarterbacks?
1: (laughs) Good question, Leon.
0: (laughs) It's a fair question, right? (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with the question. There was a period
1: of time there where I thought we might see our next quarterback because one of those hits – Deacon, I'm sure, felt, you remember the play I'm talking about, I bet they commented, he might be injured, but to his credit, he kept playing, Uh, so we were lucky that it wasn't a more serious injury.
0: We're going to get to our call-in line, our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line in just a second. Again, thank you, Leon, for the super chat. Before we get to our first caller, do you want to take a moment to thank Iowa Smokehouse, not only for sponsoring the call-in line, but for sponsoring the show throughout the year. If you're new to the show, Big part of the reason why we're here is because of our sponsors, Iowasmokehouse.com. Use the code Hawkeyes for great snacks, whether it be their meat sticks, their jerky, maybe even their salsas or barbecue sauces and ketchups. Use the code Hawkeyes for 15% off your order. So much sports going on. By the way, we'll be here for the next two hours because we've got Iowa hoops, men's and women's hoops here later today. And Iowa Smokehouse will be with us for that post-game show as well. Use the code Hawkeyes for 15% off at Iowa Smokehouse. Also, Brad Van Meter and his team down at State Farm. He's been with us throughout the football season. Give him a call at 515-256-6480. And uh, maybe even on Cyber Monday, give Brad and his team a call to see how they can save you some money on auto insurance, boat insurance, renter's insurance, whatever the case may be. Visit him online at bradvanmeter.com. Also want to thank RTI Threads. I talked about RTI Threads player of the game. But uh, yes, uh, RTI Threads has been with us throughout the year and in spite of the injury to, to uh, Cooper DeGene, I got to give a shout out to another RTI Threads athlete, Carson Shire. Had a couple of big games today, or g- big plays today, Don. One of which coming on a big tackle on, a, on punt coverage, and yeah. uh, I believe, am I correct in saying he had the fumble recovery?
1: I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh,
0: let me pull this up here. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But but a couple of big plays for Carson who. It's probably going to be called on next year, especially, uh, you know, just depending on who leaves, who comes back. They're really senior laden in uh, that linebacker room. And, and Carson's dealt with some injuries, appears to be healthy now. So, again, just thank you to RTI Threads for being uh, a part of this show throughout the season. And if you're new to the show, you can support all our sponsors. All of their links are in the description below. But you can shop Cooper DeGene's merch line, his apparel line at CD3LacesUp.com. Or Aaron Graves, Carson Chire, Aiden Hall, Zach Lutmer, all their merch at RTIthreads.com and more in the Hopper. More Hawkeye merch in the Hopper, courtesy of RTI Threads in Western Iowa. Let's go to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. We'll start with James on hold for a long, long time. James, welcome. How you doing? Doing good, man. How are you?
2: I'm doing better now that we won, but... First off, my point was I was gonna make was the same thing as him. I didn't understand why he blitzed on third and why Phil blitzed on third and eleven. Cause I feel like the rush at that point was getting to him perfectly fine anyways. We were fr- we were frustrating them. I don't feel like I don't understand why we went to that. Like especially that kind of blitz where he brought the safeties down and then it put them out of position to try to get back. He didn't blitz. He faked, well, the, he blitz. faked the blitz. Yeah, but I'm saying like he brought him down to fake the blitz. Right. So then he put him out of position because he probably didn't the best one when our four rushes were not maybe not getting to him by not sacking pretty, but they were frustrating him by making him get out the pocket and then he had to make decisions from there. So it was kind of an interesting point where it's like, why are you bring him down in that situation?
0: Aren't you just doing everything in that situation, Don, to contain any scramble on third and 11? I mean, just You're just hanging back. I mean, what's weird about that for a novice football mind like myself, and I think probably a lot of our Iowa fans who who love the game and watch the game but rely on you for intel, you know, you're watching this, and you see, you know, last week, I think it was against Illinois, Deshaun Lee, I think it was like third and two, and he sunk 10 yards back. And Iowa, very conservative on third and short. Why roll the dice on third and long? I mean, I know you don't agree with the call, but what do you think the reasoning in that moment was from Phil? Well,
1: I think the thought process – I think the thought process was show blitz, maybe prop them to check to a, a quick throw. They need 11, right? So show blitz, have them check to a quick throw. After the quick throw, tackle them short of the 11-yard game. I think that's what he what he hoped to happen, um, but it didn't. And clearly, he thought he thought we need to combo the inside receivers because those are the guys most likely to catch the slant route. It happened to be the ideal call in that situation. Number two was the guy going deep, and, and he was covered, of course. I sh- he was hopefully covered by Deshaun, but it didn't happen that way. Deshaun was beat to the post, and and it was all over when the ball was caught.
2: Okay, first off, two more questions, and I'll let you get to the other cars because they got other cars, and we got a basketball game here soon. But what was your thought, Corey and Don, when Deacon threw the interception?
0: You want to know? Well, you know my thought, Jay. Yeah,
2: I, I, they I, should they should have went to overtime. But
0: I tweeted out, and, and yeah. Don, you may not agree with this, but I tweeted out, and I wouldn't normally do this. I said um, after, let's see. Well, it, at first at we first, thought Nebraska had been charged a timeout. Right? It was third if, down. I don't,
2: I don't understand why I would take a timeout there. I'm sorry, I don't understand.
0: Well, I hold on a second. I agree. And had Nebraska called the timeout, then it would have made the decision even easier for me. I would have said, we're taking a knee here and going to overtime. I am not putting this game in the hands of Deacon Hill. And I I mean, again, I'm all for rolling the dice and, you know, aggressive Kirk 3.0. But Don, I tweeted out right before that happened. I said, have to take a knee here. They did not. Deacon throws an interception, nearly cost them the game. Just your thought process. That seemed very much against the grain of what Kirk would normally do in that situation.
1: Yeah, I, I felt this way. We had done next to nothing in the second half, right? We had 200 yards at halftime. I doubt that we had 100 in the second half. Maybe we ended up with 100. Not much more than 100, though. You can look it up as we talk. Uh, But I honestly felt we just need to get in. We just need to get to the in the regulation with a 10-10, and then take steps to beat them in overtime. Because I thought the odds of us being able to engineer any kind of any kind of drive were very slim at that point uh truthfully there were other times in the game we were fortunate that we didn't throw a pick or two the way the balls uh, came out a time or two we were just lucky that they weren't intercepted Uh, they certainly had some opportunities just like just like we did but it seemed like they had more opportunities Uh, and again i just saw it all in real time so i'd have to go back and look to see how many balls were legitimately had a chance to be intercepted. It just looked like we were um, maybe not intercepted so much as just the possibility of him being stripped in the pocket. Well, either either or. or Hey, think about this. Twice we got stepped on, right? Twice our quarterback's foot got stepped on. That should not happen. Uh, uh, We are so lucky that it didn't end up as a safety. I'm talking about the goal line play, of course, where he was almost down and tossed the ball back to LeSean.
0: Two things. Heck of a play in the moment from Deacon to toss that ball as he's falling down. All right, that's a lot of weight coming down on that turf. Uh, and he did it a couple – he did it both times. Got that ball off both times. Credit to Deacon Hill. Second thing is the color commentator – I don't even know the guy's name. and He's an offensive lineman, former offensive lineman apparently because they kept bringing it up. Made the point of saying, you know, that's always on the quarterback. Now, he's a former old lineman. Is that true, Don? Was it a trip or was it – did his foot get stepped on?
1: Well, his foot clearly got stepped on. But here's the question – uh, it, it still could be one or two players. And it gets down to the footwork of the lineman versus the foot footwork of the quarterback. I will say this. Quarterbacks need to understand that first step has got to come in a hurry. You can't leave your foot in the ground, you know, and you got to know for sure what the foot, appropriate footwork is. And, and to coincide with that, of course, the lineman, their job is not to retreat on that particular play. Uh, their job is to – and if they do retreat, only ever so slightly, you know, because pass sets need – you need to take on it. you don't want to give a guy a chance to get ahead of steam against you on a pass set. Uh, how far off the ball do you need to set? Only long enough to get your hands up. So if you, the ideal um, offensive guard would pass set without really dropping much at all because he can shoot his hands that quickly to take on that lineman on the line of scrimmage. Don't Don't retreat and give him a chance to – to bull rush you into the quarterback's lap. You, you follow me there, Corey? Absolutely. You, you yeah. drop only enough to get your hands up. That's what most overline line coaches would teach. The bottom line uh, is that the quarterback should not be stepped on. And just like with a – what's the problem with the snap? Well, I always said it's never one person's fault. It's the fault of the quarterback and the center. I'm talking about when he's indirect. If, they, if the exchange doesn't happen – Let's just analyze why. We have to solve it, and it's not going to be one person's fault. It might be one more than the other, but the bottom line, we have to solve it. We have to go an entire season without, without losing a snap when we're indirect. That's the goal. That's a lofty goal, but there are some teams that actually get that done. They, they go an entire season without losing a, a snap underneath the center. So the bottom line, uh, for him to be stepped on twice, I would suspect it's more his fault than the lineman. I don't know that. Only the coaches can determine that. and They might not even know until they look at the video.
2: For sure. And one more, a couple, one more thing. First off, I hope – I don't know Caleb. Caleb Kyle, Kyle said Caleb Brown got in the game. I didn't see him back in the game, but uh, we need him. So I hope nothing serious if he is hurt. I know he missed, like, most of the second half. But talking about snaps, Torrey Taylor on the kickoff, if he didn't put the snap back up the way he did, we he didn't have a chance, because if you watch it, hits the ground, he picks it back up real quick and puts it back.
0: You're talking about on the field goal kick?
2: Yeah, on the last field goal kick. He he, literally was on the ground. He picked it up, put it right aside.
0: I guess that's what I'm saying. And I'm not, I'm not taking any, I'm not trying to take blame off of Drew Stevens. He is struggling. But James, you you tweeted this, you texted me or DM'd me the same thing. And I wasn't trying to argue with you. But anybody that says, why is Drew Stevens all of a sudden sucking? Well, there are multiple components to the kicking game, right? There's blocking, there's snapping, there's holding, there's kicking. So, like, I mean, yeah, it's clear he's struggling, but there might be multiple components at play here, and we just don't often see this out of any Iowa kicker, especially a guy who's been as solid as Drew has been. So, whether it's mental or physical, again, I, I mentioned the groin issue that I was told he is dealing with this week. But in general, um, I think he'll be back. And uh,
2: as much as I'm happy, for, as much as I'm happy for Meter, I do kind of wish that would have been Stevens who kicked the game winner after all the turmoil he went through in that game, because I feel like that would have been cool to see as well, but I'm just glad we got the win and Marshall meter will always be a name. I think our friends remember now after this game. So, yep. But I watched this Iowa basketball game. Hopefully we can pull one through.
0: Sounds good, sir. All right. Uh, lots of comments in the chat. And if you want your comment to be addressed on the air, it's going to have to be a super chat. I can't filter through everyone's comments. D Roloffson with a super chat. The wide receivers didn't help today. Grateful for 10 and two. Uh, it, it is fair to acknowledge that Deontay Vines continues to be out. Caleb Brown went out in that second half with an injury. By the way, Don, you asked about total yardage in the second half, 116 total yards for the Iowa offense combined in that second half, including just 38 in the third, excuse me, in the fourth quarter. But for the day, um, Caleb Brown did have three catches on 21 yards, and he looked okay at times. There was a play on the – I'm trying to figure out which side of the field we'd be talking about. Um, But there was a play along the sidelines that Caleb Brown made into the uh, red zone in that first half that look like vintage athlete like this is the this is the reason this kid was a four star recruit and you see his upside and then he has yeah. the, the end zone gets hurt. I still really am high on Caleb Brown and I think he'll he's going to really help this team assuming he sticks around. Um, but uh, you know he's made a lot of progress over the last few weeks keep in mind he wasn't even playing like four weeks ago. And. Yeah. You know, he's basically their number one receiver right now. I don't know what's happened with Seth Anderson. He had a big catch late in the game, but he has been playing less and less as well. Jacob Bostic saw the field Mm -hmm. today. And you're absolutely right, uh, D. Rolovson. As far as drops are concerned, I don't have an official number yet. But Caleb Brown was targeted five times, caught three. Nico had 10 targets, caught two. Seth had two targets, caught one. And Jacob Bostic had the one target on a bad throw. Some of those were just bad throws. That's a terrible throw, terrible decision. Also a bad route by Jacob Bostic. I don't know if you agree with that, Don. but on the, We
1: were very lucky that Mo went interception.
0: It's a really bad route.
1: <laughs> You're
0: right. It's a young man who's going to learn, but uh, that shouldn't have been thrown anyways. Uh, let's go back to uh, – well, Kyle – by the way, Kyle in the chat does say that uh, apparently Caleb was back on the field at the very end of the game. So that's good news if that's the case. Let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. Sean is on hold. Sean, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Absolutely, hey. thanks, Sean. Hey, uh, congrats on, uh, on crushing the under once again. You guys uh, have been paying my bills this year with these just taunting <laughs> Vegas. Can you set this line low enough?
0: It's incredible, isn't it? And they flirted with yeah. they flirted with the line today with twenty three, but uh, it was oh yeah. yeah. They did it under, yep.
3: Yeah, especially in the first half, looked uh, looked actually competent on uh, running the ball. In that first half, it was a bit surprising. I've uh, been following the show all year. Never, I uh, got a chance to call him, but I just want to say I appreciate. you guys do good work here covering these games. And um, appreciate that. And uh, so, yeah, I watched a little vested interest. I'm a Buckeye fan, for okay. all. So hopefully, we'll meet meet up next weekend.
0: That'll be fun. I don't know that I it'll be it fun helped. for Iowa, but it'll be fun for someone.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, well you, get, you get a trophy anyway for it, right, for us?
0: Well, you, you, they get a banner. They, they get a banner, banner somewhere <laughs> <laughs> for winning the West. Yes. They'll get a banner somewhere. And they'll get a banner for a bowl game appearance as well, Sean. So that's good.
3: Absolutely. So wondering what needs to be done to, like, modernize this offense while maintaining uh, fidelity to Iowa's sort of holistic approach to football, I don't think they really want to be the team that's running up and down the field, you know, uh, risking turnovers. And you know, I, I think they want to place risk-averse football on offense. They'd like to be obviously more effective than they are. What
0: I think I understand what you're saying, Sean. Don, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but you're basically asking. How does Kirk moving forward different offensive coordinator next year? I mean, we're not going to be a whole lot of wholesale changes made between now and next Saturday, but moving forward, how can Kirk Varence allow this offense to be evolved while still maintaining the uh, kind of the the baseline, the foundation that is this program, uh, field control, clock management, all that stuff, Don?
1: Well, hire a guy that knows a lot about about teaching and training quarterbacks, and of course knows a lot about formulating game plans too. Um, hire someone that has the capacity to, to require defenses to defend the entire field, the width and the depth of the field. Um, hire someone that has a great concept of, of um, how to teach and how to, how to, um, how to bring someone along to, to really play at a high level. And, and there's a mental side of it as well as a physical side of it. That's for sure. <clears throat> and, and, like, do you think a lot of their struggles
3: come from them now just just not threatening the whole field, like defenses can sort of <laughs> – can clamp down and just, you know, play, in the, play very heavy in the box, which obviously hurts your running game?
1: Yeah, I think we have to – we have to be um, – a greater threat in the passing game uh, with all eligible receivers. You know, right now the, the backs don't get the ball much at all.
2: <clears throat>
1: Titans get it more than average receivers get it less than average too. So we need better, a better blend of all those five positions, catching a ball. So it makes us harder to defend. And no, I absolutely. say, five, I say five receivers, of course, sometimes it might be four wide receivers and a back on the field. Um Other times it might be a couple of tight ends. So all combinations, you know, just all five receivers need to be a threat in the passing game for the passing game to have more success.
3: Yeah, I mean, I look at a program like um, those cheaters. Um, They do a good job of uh, kind of doing, I think, what Iowa likes to do. They use a lot of heavy personnel sets. But they, but there, there's always a threat. But they get everyone involved in the passing game. Yeah, you
1: know,
3: and teams going
0: to be Going to be a hard assignment, regardless of it's Michigan and Ohio State. Hard assignment, regardless, especially without Cooper DeGene, because man, he just Don. I don't remember, and I'll be honest, the offense didn't look a whole lot different with Cade McNamara. Now, Cade was hurt. I'd like to think yeah. that if he was healthy, it would have been a different start to the year. But my point in bringing that up is. I have not seen, in, in my recollection, seen a bigger difference made at one position, or I should say collectively throughout a game by one person's injury, as I've seen with Cooper DeGene. Even though they have won these games, whether we're talking gunning or punt returning, you know, we had, had a muffed punt today by Caden Weijin. Uh We're talking about coverage. Like he makes such a difference in so many different areas of the game. So, uh, yeah. John, uh, appreciate your call, sir. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, one, one last thing. Um, big event in Iowa. The big sporting event in Iowa this weekend is taking place on Sunday. Uh, the Cyhawk duel on the mat. You guys have any vested interest in that?
1: Number four versus number eight, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: John's got more of a vested interest because I am not a wrestling guy per se, but uh, uh, go. I'll say this. Go Hawks.
1: I am aware. Is it, is it true the first time there's been a national broadcast of a wrestling meet? Regular
4: uh,
3: season, yeah, season, yeah, it's it's on it's on ESPN the Uno, here yep. on uh, on Sunday. So great exposure for the sport, great exposure for the state of Iowa.
0: There you go, Sean. Appreciate oh. you, sir. We'll talk to you okay. again. Thank you, sir. MC says, "Crazy how bad the West is." Well, there's probably some truth to that. Takoon with the super chat. After all, that's uh after all that's happened on and off the field. So proud to see this team with ten wins. Thank you so much, Corey and Don for all you've done this year um boy i still love the emotional kirk i know some people are just going to be mad at kirk no matter what he does at this point in his career because the offense isn't good and you know the whole situation with brian and i can see why even if kirk isn't leaving after this season i mean we've talked about the potential is kirk possibly going to be walking away and retiring after this year you know it's I still don't have a definitive answer to that question. He's been really emotional, but as he's gotten older, he's been more and more emotional. He's been emotional in almost every post postgame um, over the last couple of months, Don, especially since the Bryan announcement came down. And I just think he's impressed with the resilience of this team. It is impressive. That's why I said I, I, I think he absolutely should be in the discussion for coach of the year in this conference. Uh, I, I don't know if he's, you know, maybe he wins it. Maybe he wins it over Braun or whatever his name is over at Northwestern. Frankly, ten and two with injuries to McNamara, Lachey, all Dejean. Maybe he wins it, Don.
1: Well, let's say it this way: I hope they don't vote until after next weekend, because to win next weekend, there'd be no question who should win the win the award.
0: Very much true. Uh, thank you, Tuckoon, for the super chat. John says two blocked field goals, more adversity, missed, obvious pass interference call. Uh, either pass interference or holding. I don't know if the ball was in the air technically there, Don, but that was a bad miss call. Um, on the shot to Rocchini. Backup kicker, drills game winner. You can't make this up. Zero wins for Purdy's brothers, Purdy brothers against Iowa. Just shattered the record for wins of a team averaging under 250 yards per game. 10 wins. I didn't love the CBS crew today on the call, Don. But You saw
1: the the stat, right? The previous record?
0: That is incredible. The previous record for most wins for a team averaging under 250 total yards is UCF, Central Florida, with four wins about 15 years ago. That is an incredible stat, and Iowa's not going to average more than 250 yards, uh, regardless of what happens these next two weeks. They'd have to just go crazy, and that's just not going to happen. So uh, it is incredible. Thank you, John, for the generous super chat. do appreciate that. Uh, Thank you for being here. Let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. We've got a number of callers who have been on hold for quite some time. We'll start with Scott, and we'll move forward. Scott, welcome to the show.
5: Great. How's it going? Good. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm glad we won. I live in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. So I have a, even a more vested interest in winning. So they don't, co workers don't talk shit about me on Monday. Uh, and uh, I'm, but I am picking myself because I work for a large company and I have co workers that I talk to all the time from Dallas, Chicago, Denver. And they keep talking about like the over under. And I always joke take the under, always take the under. But I've never once placed a bet because I don't bet on sports, and I'm like, man, I could have made so much money. But uh, you're, also, you're better. Yeah. You're,
0: you're better off, Scott. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and, and frankly, uh, I talked with Mark Rogers about this the other day, Don. Whoever came up with, well, Vegas did, but however that's done, I don't follow it enough to really even know. Iowa was projected at seven and a half wins on the season prior to the season. What a stupid projection. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I called it stupid when it came out. With the right. schedule and everything Iowa had com- coming back, to project them at seven and a half wins on the season, that's a dumb prediction. Dumb line.
1: We talked even three months ago that we had certainly had a good chance to, to be favored in 10 or 11 games.
5: Absolutely. And uh, shout out to LaShawn Williams for, I mean, I thought he made, he slipped through a lot of very small holes and particularly the, the, the very last run where he picked up, what was it, like 15 yards to get within field goal range. Um, and also, uh, Don, you're um, looking at ESPN, we had a total of 259 yards. So mm-hmm. if, you, if 200 yards, I think it was um, at halftime, that means we had about 60 yards in the second half. And but that leads me to uh, what I was going to ask you is I know in the beginning of the season we kept talking about we got to get the receivers involved, however, in the beginning, in the first half, it seemed like you know, Addison and Stelianos were moving the ball, but in the second half, we were force feeding it to I mean, Nico had 10 um, With 10 targets. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't even think uh, that they the tight ends really even had much targets in the second half, and they, between the two of them, they only had five catches for sixty yards. So I, I guess it wasn't huge, but I know that Stefano's catch and run. He he's the guy's within in the ten yard line. Of course, you know our red zone offense is bad. <laughs> it's like you know. it it almost seemed like when we got to first and goal at the 10 yard line, Kirk Ferentz was perfectly happy. Yeah. Just running up the middle and then kicking a field goal. And, and I've said that he
0: was, he was absolutely. He ran three times. Yeah, They ran three times for one total yard. And and Don, you're going to probably tell me that that was the right play because you told me that earlier in the year, something similar to that where Iowa ran the ball in the red zone on third and medium to third and long. And frankly, I, I have no faith in the pass offense, no faith in the red zone offense, so I guess it was, but then when you're missing field goals, it really complicates things. That's how fragile this Iowa system is. It's so dependent on having an adequate kicker and a a really good punter, an excellent defense. You could not win games with this offense under any other circumstances, and we saw them almost lose in spite of, you know, with the fact that Drew Stevens was as as bad as he was at times today, and they found a way to do it again, but uh Don, what'd you think about the three runs? I believe that was late second half in the red zone. Um and if I believe it finished up with a, a Drew Stevens blocked kick.
1: Yeah, let me find it here. Um, well I, middle of the second half, they they posted this this stat. Our last ten passes, we were one for ten for nine yards in that stretch of the game. <clears throat> So I'll admit, I was thinking, um, just trying to figure out, help me out here. Just what do you need help with This Just before the
5: second block, you're saying?
0: I, I believe it was, wasn't it, Scott, before the second block, the, the three runs?
5: Yeah, uh, one of them, uh, it was a blocked field goal. I don't know which one it was, but yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: well, the way the game was playing out, three points looked huge. They were, let's face it, they were struggling. If we took away the the one sixty-six yard play, which I'm sure Phil would say was our fault, not theirs, then they really didn't sustain any drives all day. You know, we did a great job of controlling the first half. Halftime stats, I did write them down. If they were accurate, not even close, really.
5: And and this is where the kind of the problem is is like again in the Wisconsin game, we ran up the middle, we punted it, we were so willing to give it back to Wisconsin, and I just I'm thinking we're playing on such a razor's edge, that one missed block, one blown coverage, all it takes, just one, yeah. yo, know, not a series though, just one bad play on the defense or even spe- or special teams, and Wisconsin wins, and here. Yo, they didn't sustain any drives all game, but because our offense just can't, I mean, 10, first and goal at the 10 yard line, and they can't three times, and we came over with three points. And then all it takes is a 70 yard touchdown pass by Nebraska off of a broken coverage, and they're right back in the game. And it just feels like our defense has to play perfect, you know, yeah. every single snap. You know, and our offense is well, it almost seems like our offense isn't expected to play perfect, but our defense has to, or else we lose the game. And it's kind of like we we you know win by this we uh what is it saying? We win by the sword, we die by the sword. You well, know, we're so willing to to play those margins that I mean, yeah, three times within the 10-yard line, three points.
1: (laughs) Well, I will say this. I've got this much I do know. The second block field goal before the half, the second block field goal, we had uh, Leshawn broke for 52 yards. That set us up in the red zone. We had 200 on the plus six. 200 means second goal. On the plus six-yard line, we ran wide hide and threw it incomplete. Remember that play with the tight end? We we fake play action, brought the tight end across the formation. It was well defended. Uh, that was incomplete. And then on the third down, that's when Phillip um, dropped a good throw in the to the front pylon. Uh, that that's the second blocked field goal right before halftime. Um, and I don't know. It must have been before the first long field goal. Then it was in the first half, not second half. I think. You're pretty sure it's in the second half. I'm talking about the one when we ran the ball three times.
0: I was thinking that was but, second quarter done.
5: Yeah, second quarter. It'll, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I think all three of those, uh, you know, red zone. But I mean, it's. I mean, red zone is 20 yards. I mean, we were at the 10 yard line or right or, um, closer. Yeah, yeah. That, one thing I, you know, our,
1: our red zone offense. I haven't I haven't looked at it for the entire season, but as as Corey can tell you, uh, the good red zone offenses produce touchdowns, not field goals. Right. And yeah. then, of course, we realize we can't even get, be guaranteed to make a field goal because we can't be guaranteed to not have it blocked.
0: Scott, yeah. I got I, I do got to move on, but I appreciate oh. you calling, sir, and oh, we'll God. talk. We'll talk to you later today after basketball if you call in.
5: Yeah, okay. And also, mention that target from Jam- Jamar Harris. Um, was sure. that a target? Yeah.
0: Okay, thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah, and there was somebody – Scott wasn't the only one he wanted to know. I mean, Bob in the chat, he's upset about a lot of things, but he says officiating was terrible both ways. Targeting I- – I thought it was targeting. I, I thought it was targeting on Jamar Harris. I I love when people – there's somebody – when I tweeted that out during the game, Don – these people that hate whenever I give an objective take, objective take that does not agree with what they want to hear. Um, mm. And I think the, the the response was deleted now, but that's the definition of targeting. I mean, he lowered his helmet he's trying to dislodge the football with his helmet, right? Don, am I wrong on that? Seemed very clear on replay.
1: Well, you know, he, he, of course the guy that's really at risk is the guy, is the tackler there. Jamari. in this case,
5: sure. you well, know,
1: he, he didn't even hit with the, the top of his head, he actually hit with the back of his head a little bit. His head was that much down toward the ground. So it's a dangerous play. You're at risk of a neck injury. And obviously uh, we used to always coach guys to, you know, to to run through contact and to, and to have your eyes up. In other words, you're hitting with your face mask all the time with the front of your helmet. Uh, you're never going to get flagged for that, of course. And you're not going to miss as many tackles. When you drop your head, your eyes are no longer on your target. So, Obviously, at that point, you might as well be, uh, be blindfolded, you know, because you really can't see where you're going.
0: And B.J. brings up the fact that perhaps Kirk didn't want to get into a field goal contest with Nebraska. Um, you know, that's possible, but they were going to have to kick at least one field goal to win regardless because they weren't scoring a touchdown, unless Leshawn breaks one. But, I, you know, they that was a an interesting decision to uh, do what they did on, on uh, third down and call the timeout. Uh, nearly cost him the game, but found a way in the end thanks to uh, Ethan Herkett and that tremendous defense, along with some heroics on special teams and offense down the stretch.
1: I would say uh, this. I suspected, just thinking about about being okay with going to overtime, my thought would be even though we would have reason to have lost confidence in our place kicking, I still like the, the chances of us scoring a touchdown starting on the plus 25 uh, compared to the chances of them scoring a touchdown from the twenty five. And I, I give I give my reasoning for that to be simply I'm comparing our defense to theirs. I like our chances for sure shaking loose on a naked, shaking loose on a receiver screen, maybe busting a run up inside. We have a chance to do that. I just think our defense is more sound than theirs. So I like our chances of scoring from the 25 better than – scoring a touchdown from the 25 better than theirs. And I'm factoring, the super factoring in the two defenses when I say that.
0: Appreciate the super chat here from Don. The play call to throw on third down late in the game with 41 seconds left looked more like Scott Frost than like Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, I was uh, very much surprised by that decision. Appreciate the super chat, uh, Don and um, Arnie. Appreciate the generous super chat. I've done this twice. Amy, it looks like an RN. I'm so sorry, Amy. (laughs) Amy. Thank you, Amy. Hello, Coach and and Coach. uh, Corey, hell of a show as always. We enjoy listening to you guys. Thanks for all you do. Any updates on Caleb Brown injury? Super chat courtesy of RTI Threads, Amy and Marty. Thank you, Amy and Marty. And certainly Marty uh, being a part of RTI Threads and, and supporting this show through sponsorship and through the Super Chat. Um, but uh, Caleb Brown, I, I, I don't have anything up official from Iowa and I have not received any, any uh, top secret information on this, but I did see that our, our guy Kyle said that he was on the field late. I did not notice that, Don. Did you notice Caleb Brown back on the field at the end?
1: I didn't, but I didn't notice anything that resembled an injury either. I'm not sure when he might've been injured.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I,
1: that,
0: that was a report from the CBS, uh, crew, although she did say, I think she said Caleb, she said Caleb, she said running back Caleb Brown. And I, it took me a minute to realize who she was talking about, but we did not see Caleb until late. We saw more of Bostic, more of mm-hmm. Seth Anderson, uh, as the game went on, but, uh, no question, a lot of injuries that this team is dealing with and overcoming, that's a fact. Whether you like the offense, like the coaching or not, that is a fact. Appreciate that, super chat, Amy. Do do thank you for that. Brian uh, says if it is the exact game we all expected. No apologies for winning. This season will be talked about out for ages. Sure, hope Cooper comes back. Boy, I hope I hope so too, Don. And I've told people, don't shut that door. Don't shut that door. Right. Decent authority. Do not shut that door. All right. I know a lot of people just assume he's out the door. Don't shut the door on him coming back. And boy, if he does, how good could things be next year defensively again? Um, certainly, uh, he'd be probably, uh, I don't know if you make the guy a Heisman, preseason Heisman guy, Don, as a cornerback and as a punt returner, but boy, he'd be as close to a, a non-offensive Heisman candidate as as we've seen. I, I think if if a guy like Jadavion Clowney can be in the Heisman race, why not Cooper DeGene? He's that good.
1: Well, I would say this: if if that's going to help us to get him back here, um, there wouldn't be anything wrong with mentioning to him, you know what? If you if you have any any thoughts about trying to find a way to help your team and win a, a an award such as the Heisman, we'll help you do it by giving you some opportunity on offense too. Um, I realize you're, there's always that possibility he'll be injured on offense, but there's also that same. Possibility he'll be injured on all those other plays he's out there for.
0: Uh, D. Roloffson says, uh, "I'll take uh, 130 plus 10 two every year, but we get a new OC. They will have a new OC now. We don't know who that will be. Um, I know the name John Budmeyer's been tossed out a lot. It sounds like Iowa did contact Andy Ludwig from Utah. That's uh, courtesy of our our friends over at HawkeyeReport.com. Tom Cakert." let us know that here about a week ago. So they they have already been making at least contact, which you'd expect at this point. Um, but I, I don't think John Budmeyer is probably near the top of your list, even though you're a big fan of the Hartley family. He's got good roots back in Wisconsin. He's got some FBS offensive coordinator experience, but there's got to be better candidates out there. And uh, boy, this team, again, if assuming that people like DeGene are not out the door and it doesn't sound like he is official on his decision to leave. Um, and you get Lachey back, maybe even like an Eric all um, we don't know if Sebastian Castro will come back. He's another one with an extra year. If he decides to take it, they could have a really stacked roster next year, tougher division or tougher conference. I should say tougher schedule, etc. but it could still be really fun football with a lot of really good faces, familiar faces, and experienced veteran laden team next year appreciate the super chat, d Roloffson and john again thank you again john i have to throw a shout out to kyler fisher and aaron graves both from the same high school southeast valley and playing big role in the defense love seeing it go hawks yeah not far from me here in ames actually uh used to travel up to i believe it was gallery which is uh, southeast valley and and hit the little nine hole course up there on fridays don i'll put a plug in for them they because they don't run this special anymore. They used to have a special done on Fridays, five dollars for eighteen holes, or excuse me, five dollars for I believe nine holes. Five dollars for a cart, probably the best deal you could imagine. They don't they don't run that exact special anymore, but a nice little nine hole course. But great routes, small town routes for a couple of guys making a big difference. And I've seen Aaron really um, just improve his ability to shed blocks, and um, you know that I know that was one of the. Topics of conversation during the broadcast today, Don. How good this defensive line is at getting off blocks and creating havoc in the backfield. Can you talk a little bit about that and what makes them so good at doing so?
1: Well, it, it all starts with them uh, knowing how to use their hands to shed blockers. You just see them; they're always they're always pushing up the field, but they're acting with their hands. You got to have strong hands to be a good a good defensive lineman. Because how else can you grab a guy and hold on to him and get him out of your way? And, and it all starts with being athletic, being an explosive person, understanding leverage. You know, oftentimes you'll see them up underneath an offensive lineman's pads. Um, you've heard that expression, "low man wins." There's a lot of truth to that. depends on depth and distance, of course. If you're in a pass rush mode, maybe you're you're not so concerned. I thought I thought the the analyst did a good job of recognizing one thing. <clears throat> I do think. A lot of time, we we didn't play as many games up front because I think we were trying to be sure to keep Purdy in the pocket, try to contain Purdy. So you saw more of a controlled rush, more of a bull rush technique, more often than just trying to beat people with speed moves. Uh, The sad part of it all, there was a time or two when we pressured with our linebackers, and they did accurately mention this. Uh, We lost contain a time or two. Um, You know, Joe's got to remember... If we're going to bring any kind of inside pressure, I think we might have brought a safety in this particular snap late in the game. And sure enough, Purdy got outside outside of the pocket, had a lot of time to throw and completed a throw uh, on the boundary uh, for a key first down late in the game. So his point was correct. You know, you got if you've got to pressure with any kind of inside rush, you got to be sure you can contain rushes, especially on a quarterback like Purdy. There's not just a threat to throw outside the pocket. He's a threat to run outside the pocket. So try to keep him inside the pocket, make him play from there. That's that's to our advantage, not his.
0: Thank you again, John, for the super chat. Do appreciate that. And in answer to uh, OS for Hawks. Yes, I do expect we do expect Tom Kaker here any minute. He is in Lincoln, and I'm sure getting close to finishing up with with Coach Ference following the game. And uh, Ralph uh, asked the same question was asked earlier about targeting. We kind of covered that, Don. Um, there, I thought there were a couple potential targets missed earlier in the game and I'm all for the targeting call. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I'm all for trying to figure out ways to protect these players when you have these big heavy helmets that can be used as weapons. And, um, you know, there was a lot going on in this game. I don't think it was the worst officiated game in the world. Um, I, I thought, uh, you know, pretty typical as far as number of times you go to the review. I, I know that's just part of college football. It kind of disrupts play. Um, but so do these long timeouts. So yeah, the, the targeting thing, um, I was surprised it's really good. Obviously that Jamari didn't get tossed. Cause that would have been the, the bigger impact is the fact that, uh, he had been gone. And then you're talking about Deshaun Lee and who Brendan Diaz, Fernandez, Devin Helson, TJ hall, Jamison Hines, somebody, somebody without a ton of experience coming in there and then you can attack.
1: Yeah. Somebody that's very unproven at that point.
0: Yep. Um, Chad says, "Is Brian allowed to to coach in the Big Ten championship game? Yes, he is. He'll be there for the bowl game and the Big Ten championship game. Viking Hawk thirty three. Appreciate the super chat. After seeing the interview with Kirk, it's amazing how great of a person he is. Never seen a season like this. Appreciate that positive attitude, Viking Hawk. And and you know, I know people are still frustrated with with the offense, but you know." I will say this, Don: thirteen to ten win, and everybody thinks oh, I was just the most boring, the worst ten and two team to ever play. They're boring football. We got seven hundred people on here watching the show. Um, you know, during a week where I know a lot of people are busy with family and whatnot. Seven hundred people here between the two channels. So, do appreciate everybody being here. Let's get to our next Iowa Smokehouse caller. We've only got about an hour left of the show, so we're going to speed through our callers. All of you on Streamyard, Kyle Ryan. Um, Let's see, Alex, I know we've got Adam in the, the uh, queue as well, along with Dave and Jackson. We're going to get to you. We're going to have to kind of speed callers up because we've got a lot to get to over the next hour before Iowa men's basketball tips off in an hour. Let's get to our next caller on the phone line. Thank you for calling Iowa Postgame here with Coach John Patterson. Who's on the line?
6: Uh, this is Brian. Hey, Brian. Yeah, I just yeah just a couple of quick uh, comments. Uh, the one was uh, um, toward the end of the game where um, – were uh, pretty uh scrambled, almost got the first down, then there was a false start, and then they went back and challenged that spot of that of the of the where he went out of bounds. So I was sure why you know if they could have challenged that because a play really didn't run, but they had a penalty on that on the next on the next play. So I don't know That's if, a good question. if they were Don, able to challenge that. Don, can you clear Well I was
1: surprised with the timing on the whole thing too because if you're in a challenge it needs to be before the next snap in this case of course it was a false start the ball wasn't snapped i guess that's the difference is the ball wasn't actually snapped um you know to it was second second and about a yard as i recall uh and then it became second and six and i guess their argument was well since the ball wasn't snapped can't we go back and look at it i guess you can't i didn't know that i didn't know that was an option either um, and I was just relieved to know it wasn't a first down on that first down play. They didn't earn another first down. So it became second and six and and um I guess we're we're glad that it did. I'm trying to think of exactly when that happened though. Was that really, really late in the game? Or a little bit earlier?
6: Yes, yeah, so that was that was towards the and I think it was still like two or three minutes left.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think on the next play, Nebraska caught an in route for a first down because I've got a second and six here mentioned. Uh, the entry I had right before that second and six play, I made this statement, Corrine, I bet it'll, draw us, it'll, it'll, it'll make sense to you. I said, reminds me of Minnesota game. We have been outplayed in the second half. That's how I felt at that moment. I do not like the direction this thing's going. They've gained momentum. Uh, It reminded me so much of the Minnesota game. I was thinking, we're letting them hang around, and that's not good because if you hang around long enough, of course, you have a chance to win it at the end.
0: And by by the way, real quick, to Ron in the chat, he says, crown contact was below the Nebraska player's shoulder. Read the rules. A player lowering his head before attacking by initiating forcible contact with the crown of the helmet is targeting. And that's what I saw Jamara Harris do on that play. It was not above the head or shoulder area, but that is targeting. So you read the rules, Ron. (laughs) That's targeting. Now, the officials decided it wasn't, when back on tape, but that's why I'm telling you my opinion it was targeting. Go ahead, Don.
1: I was going to say, what CBS posted was simply a question of, did you hit him with the crown of your helmet or not? It doesn't matter whether it's above or below. So I don't know. what There might be a new rule applied this year that I'm not aware of. I don't know.
6: But well, you I'm think a, a, I'm is,
0: My understanding, the difference in the language as it relates to targeting is if a guy lowers his head, even if he doesn't thrust, if a guy lowers his head and leads with the crown of the helmet, that is targeting regardless of where it is in the body. If a guy thrusts, even if he's not lowering his head specifically, but if he thrusts and leads with the crown of the helmet in that motion toward anything above the shoulder neck area, that's automatic targeting as well.
1: So right. a little bit of difference. I mean, what of I would you, define as a malicious hit, you right, know, based on... Based on him um, launching himself at the quarterback's head, doesn't even have to be with his helmet, it might be with his shoulder pad.
6: Anything else, Brian? Yeah, the last thing is um, another positive uh, thing. I thought at first it was going to be in Nebraska, say, if you remember, um, there was, I think it was a minute 22 left, and the game clock didn't start for like 10, 12 seconds. So they had that extra 10, 12 seconds. Where actually helped us at the end because that was just enough for us, you know, what happened with the interception to go down and kick that field goal Otherwise, it would have went overtime earlier. So I don't if you remember that when that game clock didn't start for like 10 or 12 seconds and the announcers, you know, made a, made a thing about, you know, That's true. not starting.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, that's a, that's a, that was a botched thing by somebody, but the scoreboard operator. The official should have went back and looked at that. You would think you could still retroactively put time back on the clock like they do in basketball, Don. Um, and frankly, let me, let me just say one other thing about clock, because Brian brought up officiating. I, I think, that and people are going to disagree with this, I think the delay of game call against Iowa in that first half was also a bad call where Drew Stevens made the first kick The clock hit zero, but as the clock hit zero, the snap came. And again, go back to the rules of delay of game. There is a split second in there where the clock hit zero, and the official has to actually go up and look and see that on the scoreboard and then look back down to make sure the play hasn't been snapped. I don't believe that that call was made typical to how that rule is enforced. And the kick was good, so we don't know what would have changed had Drew Stevens made that first field goal, which he did, had the the delay of game not been called. Does he even get yanked, and does Meter kick the game-winning field goal? We don't know.
1: Probably all plays out differently. But you're right. Even in the NFL, you'll hear him comment sometimes, and it's the back judge that's responsible for for seeing the clock. He's got to see the clock go to zero. Then he's got to move his eyes to the ball and see if the ball's been snapped. So you usually have the benefit of at least half a second there, I'd say.
0: Yeah, and, and Iowa did not get that half a second, in my opinion.
1: You know, here's a, here a mystery to me. How about this one? Nebraska lines up for what apparently was going to be a 60-yard field goal attempt. What are they trying to do? Crazy on their part. Uh, you know, it was into the wind. They, they had no chance of making a kick from there. And and you know what happened next? They were forced to burn a timeout. They had to use one of their timeouts there before they push punted. That's the punt they did kill on the minus one. Uh, and, and then we were lucky not to give up the safety when Deacon got stepped on. Um,
0: could, that, could they have just been trying to draw Iowa? Can you try to draw a team off sides with a field goal unit?
1: Sure. But, I mean, who's going who's gonna to jump against a 60-yard field goal attempt? You know, not be standing there waiting for the fake, you know. because <laughs> <laughs> Into
0: the wind, right? <laughs> it,
1: into the made, wind. It made no sense. I don't know what they were thinking. All I can think of is they were confused about the yard line and thought maybe a fake would actually make some sense, made no sense from the, from the vantage point that they were lining up for an apparent 60 yard field goal attempt into the wind with a a mediocre kicker.
6: And also the kicker was late running out there to the, on the field for that too.
1: I can understand that because what would make him think he was going to be sent out there for a 60 yard kick.
6: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's fair too. That's Um, all all I had just, Go Hawks, men and boys basketball tonight.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for the call, Brian. Appreciate Brian calling in on our phone line. And uh, let's see, am I missing a super chat? We've got Viking Hawk 33. Um, I see Brian here, TCU versus OU. Uh, 24 points was lowest score for a quarter. <laughs> um, Am I missing something here, Don? Explain this.
1: Oh, you had a ton of points. I know that. I think they had 42 before the half. I, don't know
0: what oh, the final okay. was. I get to the comments. Okay, That's the other black Friday game that was going on between a, a nine and two team. um, Or I should say, yeah, a nine and two team versus a, a five and six team. Uh, D Hollywood. Appreciate the super chat from D coach Don and Corey. Do you guys have a prediction for the Michigan, Ohio state game tomorrow? Thanks for the podcast. Well, uh, that's a good question. I haven't, I haven't given it a ton of thought, Don. Um, I'm probably going to take Ohio state, but I've gotten burned. I think two years in a row after taking Ohio state. So, I'll take Ohio State in a close one.
1: Yeah, a lot of people would tell you that the pressure's on Ohio State simply because Michigan's playing without their coach. Uh, As you know, Ohio State's uh, head coach has lost the last two years to Michigan, and um, that's frowned upon to lose three in a row to Michigan if you're at Ohio State. Um, It'll be an interesting game, I think. I think it will be a one-score game, and I expect it'll be a hard-fought game. That'll be decided at the end of the game. Uh, but you never know, of course, how games might turn out. I don't know what kind of – the weather's probably going to be a suspect, too, I would think. Don't know about the weather. It'd be hard for me to bet against Michigan at home. Um, I don't know. what the, What is the point spread? I assume it's one or two points, probably a very close spread. But I, I just think Michigan is a little more experienced football team. I think they've got older players in general that have been through the wars. Um, and I like the fact that their quarterback has a lot of experience versus an Ohio State quarterback that does not. So, put, put a it in my head, I'd favor Michigan.
0: Current spread, according to ESPN, is three and a half, of course, in favor of, uh, Michigan. of Michigan. Let's go back to our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. We're going to have to kind of go quick-fire on some of these. Actually, I'm sorry. Pause the phones. Hold the phones. We've got uh, a really important <laughs> guest coming into the show. <laughs> Mr. Tom Baker with the uh, – uh, uh, hold on a second, Tom. Before you start talking, let me take a little sip of the Nebraska tears. I, you know, I <laughs> positioned myself just for
7: you guys right behind me, as you can see, the uh, Nebraska oh, okay. backdrop.
0: Tom, I don't know if you caught it. Kirk Ferentz very uh, emotional yep, again I during did his post game interview with CBS. Was he emotional again in the press conference? Not really. No, um, he
7: really didn't get emotional. But I did see the the post game. In fact, my sister uh sent me a sent me a text and said Kirk's crying uh, on TV and I was like that figures it figures <laughs> and she goes she's like I'm crying too and the, you know it's just uh you know it's the emotions are that, that's been Kirk for a while now it's been you know I I, dub, I affectionately dubbed him emotional Kirk a while back and um and just you know it's neat to, to see him so moved by his players and just appreciative of his players and what they are doing on the football field because this by you know man-to-man whatever it is um they shouldn't be doing this you know there's just no i I don't know that there's any logical reason for it in fact i asked him after i asked kirk after the game i said look you know it's just how do you guys can you coach this how do you coach The intangibles, the you know, the doing doing things better than everybody else and being comfortable in the uncomfortable, because in a lot of games, tight games, it's uncomfortable for guys. And that's why you see guys sometimes spit the bit and other guys flourish in it. And why has this team flourished in these tight games? And and I don't know, coach Coach P you can probably answer that better than anybody.
1: Well, the announcers did mention over the course of the season. Uh, we had been in five tight yeah. games and won four out of five. Uh, and Nebraska, on the other hand, had also been in five and and lost four out of five. Yep. So in those situations, of course, the fact that you've been there before, you just have a tendency to think we're going to make something something good happen. With, yeah. the, with the game on the line, things are going to fall our way. And that's just how you think. And if you've, if you've failed in those situations, it's kind of a – a given that you're more likely to fail up ahead, and I think that happened again today.
7: And that's, you know, it's just it's so amazing that, um, you know, when they when when Deacon threw that interception, I think everybody went oh no, and and thought the game was probably going to end on a field goal going the other way, and and then you know Ethan Hurkut <laughs> makes an interception and returns it a little bit. But then um, you know, Deacon shared with us something after the game that I thought was interesting because I asked him, I go, were you kind of mentally preparing for overtime at that point before that play happened? And he said, Yeah, we were, but he said the offensive line was on the sidelines and they were fired up and they were ready to go hit somebody. And that's what you saw on that counter right on that first play with with LaShawn to go twenty-two yards. And that just that offensive line just came out and fired and opened up the hole and and as LeSean does, he just ran hard and um, got it into position where they they could uh, they could kick that game-winning field goal. And how do you how do you, Marshall meter? I mean,
1: it's, I'll admit it's, it's, at that point in time, all I was really thinking was it was going to be a fifty-five-yard kick, maybe. Yeah, the, yeah. But we had the wind in our back, so I still thought we had a chance. I didn't dream it might be much shorter.
0: I'm just curious, Tom. Did, did, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to see, you know, first half and even some struggles from Drew Stevens last week. Um, You know, Kirk made the choice at halftime today to go with Mitchell in the second half, or excuse me, Marshall, and I don't know the kid's name. Um, Did he talk about that decision and just kind of win? Yeah, he just said his. Was it before yeah. the halftime or at halftime?
7: It was at halftime. They talked about it and made the decision that they were going to go in another direction. And um way I found it interesting, too, that that Drew's dad tweeted out a response. And I'm like, how does Drew's dad know? Did Drew text him at halftime and say he wasn't going to kick anymore in the game? What did and Drew's
0: dad text or tweet? He, he
7: responded to a tweet from Chad Lystico and basically said Drew's, Drew's been benched and he would only kick if it was beyond 50 yards the rest of the game and um that's why i was wondering boy if they would have got stalled out and it was 50 plus yards would drew stevens have gone out there and kick probably because I would expect marshall, so, yeah. marshall marshall seemed like it was like 40 yards and in he was okay but boy that that 38 yarder barely made it over i mean it was it was inching over i was down there kind of parallel with the uh, goalposts goal posts and it was fluttering. In fact, I couldn't even tell that he was out there. I thought it was they announced that Drew Stevens was kicking <laughs> in the stadium. Yeah. And I'm down, I'm down on the sidelines and I'm behind everybody. So I can't see what's going on on the field itself. And we're trying to get into a position where we can even see and they, the kick goes off and I see it and I'm literally parallel with the goalpost, And it just inched over just right. it, flip, 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 flip and went over.
1: And for all those reasons, it seemed more like a movie script than it did a real football game.
7: Yeah. It's just, uh, I, I don't know what to say about this team other than they're just a resilient bunch of guys that just continue to find ways to win. And that's that's a special quality. You don't see that every day in in any team. And when you have it, you have it. And when you don't, you don't. And this Iowa team has it in spades. They just do.
1: Never say die. Yep.
0: Yep. Uh, Mr. Veteran Hockey asked the same question that uh, somebody asked earlier. How can a kicker have a bad day? Quarterback questions <laughs> Keep rolling with them.
7: <laughs> well, about- he only threw one. He only threw one.
0: It, he threw a big one. But you're right. Yeah. He, he, he only threw one. I thought the decision was rather curious to – well, first of all, you had the simultaneous timeouts called by Nebraska and Iowa. They end up charging Iowa with the timeout. Had Nebraska uh-huh. been charged with the timeout, I think it's an easy decision. You take a knee and you head to overtime. And I was still surprised, even though Iowa got the charge of timeout, left it a timeout on the board for Nebraska. Still surprised that Kirk Ference opted to take a shot there. Were I, you surprised, time?
7: I I was. Um, I thought maybe, um, and, and Coach, you, you'd probably know this as well as anybody. Uh, but I thought they would run like a, a little screen or something like that um, to just kind of, if you pop it, you pop it. If you don't, it's low risk. Right. Uh, but if you if you can get a, a first down. Yeah, yeah. Then you just – I didn't think they would try and do something down the field like that.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the thing that stuck in my mind. It was third and 12 on the minus 25. Uh, I would throw as the interception. Very, very poor spacing between the receivers. You had a couple of receivers that were right there, almost close enough to touch hands. So we had poor spacing. That was part of our problem. The ball still shouldn't have been thrown, of course. Um, And we're just fortunate that it didn't cost us. We really are. Uh, by the
7: way I uh, comments. Uh, my go
1: concern about him throwing is simply what about what about a strip sack what about a ball coming out yep. and a, pick up a fumble for a touchdown or at least they're in field goal range that's what I was yeah. more worried about than a an INT. and
0: the play but, previous uh, Don, it. The, the play previous it looked like Deacon might get stripped because uh, you know again the clock seems to move a little bit slower in the pocket for Deacon and he gets hit and he held on to it but he's had that uh, that Bugaboo of kind of coughing up the football. And, and
7: by the by the way, I saw something today that I and, and Kirk went on a long rant about officiating. He's still mad about the Minnesota game. <laughs> still mad. Post game uh, was after the, the officials again. But um, how do you call? Do, to, how do you um, review a play after another play has technically been run? They called a they called a uh, um, uh, off sides false start but then they went back and reviewed the play before to see if he made the first down. How do you do that?
1: Here's another thing. That's kind of an odd rule. You can't do that. I don't know. I'm not sure. I do know this. Uh, Let's talk about red zone opportunities. Imagine you're on, you're on the, on the 18 yard line based on your previous play. Now you're on the 18 yard line. That's in the red zone, right? But if you false start in the red zone, now you're on the 23-yard line, and officially that is not yet a red zone opportunity. So you have to actually snap the ball on or inside the 20 for it to be a red zone opportunity. Maybe the same thing applies out on the field, but I, I, you just haven't seen it though. Going back and reviewing it, reviewing it after they've been at least you could call it a stoppage of play, right? They blew the whistle because of a false start. Yep. So yep. let's face it, that's that that down's gone or that that snap's gone. I'll say it that way. They didn't snap the ball, but we blew the play dead because of the false start. So how can you go back and review it? News to me. I didn't know you could.
7: I didn't. I didn't think you could. It just. Uh, it makes no sense to me. But what are you going to do if it if it was um if it was ruled a first down? Then is it first and fifteen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Good point. I don't know. I don't know how you how you adjudicate that, or do you just like? Yeah, does that it, does that a eliminate the false
1: start? Are we saying the false yeah. start never happened? Never happened? It, it because
7: it, because it did happen, it happened. Yeah. I, I don't well, know. It just, it's just safe it
1: to say sense. this is not our this is not our eighteen team crew. This is a different crew. The eighteen team oh, crew incidentally should be in should be in Ann Arbor. In, in, in in of Arbor.
7: Hey, I'm, so I've got some. I've got some injury updates, or at least no updates, really, from Kirk. Uh, asked about Caleb Brown, and um, he he's hopeful that all those guys, Deontay, Caleb, uh, all those guys, uh, that Dunker. Um, um he's hopeful to have an update on Monday or Tuesday on them, but he, I don't know if we'll get him back or not. We'll see. But Logan Jones didn't play today. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just... What what do you expect? Everybody's going to be out. It's just, and they just keep going.
0: Um, And I know I mentioned it earlier. I saw somebody in the chat, bring it up. It does sound like Drew uh, is dealing, Drew Stevens is potentially dealing with a groin injury from midweek, but I don't know that that's what caused him. And somebody brought up the, the uh, follow through. I, I didn't notice any change with his follow through on his kicks, but you know, he had an extra point blocked a week ago. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just struggling right now, and I don't know. He's.
7: Do you guys do you guys remember uh, like Chuck Chuck Nodlock or or Steve Sachs in baseball? Remember those guys, Corey? You're probably too young, but um, they were both second basemen, and I do. they had I and they say. had troubles just making couldn't. easy throws from second from playing second base to first base. They couldn't make the throw, yeah. and it, you just kind of get in a mental block. And I wonder if Drew's kind of going through something like that right now, where he's just kind of got a mental block. I was watching him really closely uh, pregame because of the wind in the stadium. I was trying to see what the wind was doing. And the one end that he was kicking at a lot, when he would kick it high, it would just kind of float and die. So he was trying to drive it more. And I wonder if that got in his head um, pregame that boy, I've got to load line drive it to make it cut through this wind. Because when you would kick it high, and it would float a little bit, it would push it to the right. Uh, the wind would yeah. push it to the right. And I wonder if he was just like a like a golfer trying to cut through a wind. He's just trying to hit hit it uh, hit a line drive. I think that's probably
1: true to what you say. Now the other block was on the other end of the field, though, right?
7: Yep. 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 It was. Yep. So
1: I just made a- the comment earlier, Tom. Um, A lot of kickers will tell you, you hit the ball the same way, whether it's a PAT or or a 55-yarder. I don't know if I could buy that. Obviously, a 55-yarder has got to be a lower trajectory. But there's a lot of argument to get the ball up quicker on on PATs, of course, or or chip shot field goals, because distance is never going to be the issue. The question is, is it between the uprights, and does it have enough elevation to not be blocked?
0: um, I will say this. Let's – remember something that drew got here You know, he's a sophomore got here a year ago really struggled in the spring and that was well documented and really came on in the summer had a tremendous year last year did not miss an extra point i think went 16 of 18 from field goals uh a year ago i expect him to be back i still think he's the future at kicker like just a yeah, couple yeah. of games he's off dude's got a heck of a leg and um i don't know what's going on right now like, like i say it's it's unfortunate, hey, hey, hey. But- Give every nice
7: every time. player goes through it every yep. player goes through it and Nate Kading went through it uh early in his career too and um you just you got to just fight through it and be mentally tough and and I'm sure Drew will will manage this and he might be dealing with some stuff but uh I'm more concerned that he's texting his dad at halftime he, <laughs> he can't yeah. be doing that you yeah. can't do that
0: i no, i don't no. think he i don't think he was because it, that was out there prior to that tweet from from his dad but yeah uh, i believe there was some communication between drew's party on the field with drew out of halftime so i don't think anybody's texting but
7: <laughs> just it was um, wild to me that he, his dad knew what was going on and he was right about what was going on but i was just like oh man that's not that's not a good look
0: it's yeah not- and i know drew has got a camp there every game and each you know road and yeah. at home um tom anything else that we missed from kirk's presser that uh, we need to we need to hit on. I mean, you mentioned injuries, and uh, obviously we'll wait to see who they play. We'll find out tomorrow after Ohio State yeah. Michigan on national television, yeah. but uh, it's going to be an interesting week leading up to another Big Ten title game.
7: Yeah, it will. And uh, I see the point spread's already moving up to like 22, 22 and a half, so uh, you know, the, they're, they're showing faith in the Hawks. Uh, it went from 21 to 20, 21 and a half up to 22, 22 and a half, so um, yeah, I suspect it's going to be 24 by kickoff. So there's there's going to be no Iowa money out there, so
0: that's fine. That's fine. Worse than 21. Worse than 2021. Anything else for Tom,
1: Don? I do have one question, Tom. Sure. Was there, was there any uh, comment at all from Kirk? We know it was Kirk's decision to switch kickers. Did he solicit LeVar's recommendation, I wonder?
7: Yeah, he didn't really say specifically. I think they, he said they talked. So I'm sure that was kind of the decision that, that they both reached, uh, kind of, uh, unanimously that, yeah, we need to kind of move on from Drew, at least for today. And, and I'm sure they'll go right back to him next week, though. I'm sure he's going to be the kicker in Indianapolis unless he's hurt. I agree. Um, um, and he should be. I mean, that's, you got to just keep going out there and, and keep getting after it. And he's a good kicker. He'll, he'll figure it out. He will.
0: And the only reason Marshall's here right now is because of the betting stuff with Aaron Blom. Aaron Blom. You
7: know, yeah. How about that? That's what the that craziest part of the story is that? Is that uh, I forgot yeah, about they, they, they won a game because Aaron Blom uh, bet on the Hawks. I,
0: I would think it'd be hard to find a situation similar to this anywhere, Tom, where a guy has never seen the field for his team all season. The last game of the season, he comes in yeah. on the road and kicks a game win. I just don't know that that's ever happened.
7: But it's yeah. – Sort of, it's it's sort of uh, the only way that happens is is with this Iowa football team. Yep, that's that's just the way this team has been built all year. Just crazy things happening. Ethan Herkitt with an interception, uh, a defensive end playing playing zone, it intercepts a pass. I mean, where else does it happen?
1: Let's give a little credit to the play caller there too, because that line that um, defensive end, that dropped back over the ball, was supposed to do that. He was told yep. to do that by the call, by the home call. Yep. The call. I,
7: I, And, boy, I thought Phil really blitzed a lot today. He was bringing Castro all the time, and it kind of bit him in the butt a couple times. Well, but, one time um,
1: we remember very well.
7: Yeah, yeah. One time, that time it did really badly, and that's just, they had, uh, that was kind of like a, a quarter's beater kind of, Kind of play, right? Right, coach.
1: Well, they ended up um you know, Nishan was in single coverage against that number two receiver and, yeah. and he was he was beaten to the post and it was over. Had no help. Yeah. The bottom line, yeah. we hardly ever line up in the equivalent of zero. It wasn't zero, but but we were comboing with our safeties on the inside receivers. So the inside yeah. receivers were doubles, but we had no help for the outside defenders or the slot defender. And Nishant happened, happened to be the perfect call for that situation.
7: Yep. Well, guys, uh, I better get running here. I got to hit the road soon. So um, Tom, safe thanks travels. For having back me on.
0: Yep. Safe Good travels to see you guys. all the way across the state of Iowa. You got the border
7: to border trip. I back got a little home, drive ahead of me. So uh, we'll, hey, we'll thanks, talk to week. Tom. I'll talk to you this thanks week.
0: You, Appreciate Tom Caker at HawkeyeReport.com. Lots of coverage over there and his guys will be uh, covering the basketball tonight as well. Connor with the super chat. Thank you, Connor. Matt rule post game said he had a fake planned. Why would you fake a field goal from 58 yards into the wind?
1: <laughs> it would have uh, been, oh. been 60 into the wind. Cause I remember where the spot was.
0: Thank you for the super chat. Connor. I don't understand that at all. And I also understand Matt rules philosophy on waist downs. And speaking of waist downs, I know we've hit this to, you know, s- straight in the head all year long, but I thought it was interesting. The color comment or the, excuse me, the, uh, yeah, the well, the analyst today. Um I don't even remember the guy's name, but he made a comment on second and one. Iowa ran for two yards on second and one. And he said, and I quote, Seemed to me like Iowa had a free down to get a chunk play there. <laughs> and what do they do? They run for two yards, Don, on third on second and one.
1: At that moment I like that analyst a little bit a little bit more.
0: I agree. Uh, what, a, what a
1: perceptive man. <laughs>
0: Colloidal, appreciate this. Uh, reminding everybody, please hit that like button. We've got about 800 people watching on our two channels right now. Um, hit the like button. This was a while ago. He said 515. We're up to 800 approximately two the two channels. Hit the like button below. Subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Lots of coverage coming, not only the rest of the day through basketball, but into a championship game week as well. Uh, Kevin with the Super Chat. Thank you, Kevin. Fort Worth Hawkeye here. Great win. Great show. Thank you, Kevin. Question for Don. Where's your Dallas Cowboy hat? um the sparkly one i think kevin's talking about the sparkly one from a week it ago. was
1: returned to the owner the rightful owner
0: all right we're gonna go a little bit quick on these these next few calls folks so we'll go to our iowa smokehouse call and line we'll start with alex alex welcome to the show
8: Good evening, gentlemen. So, obviously, I'm going to go real quick. I crossed out a few things that I had noted. Uh, You already took away one of my notes about the announcers about the waist down when uh, Iowa got a free play, got jumped offside, second and one, and, yeah, they called it out. So, um, And then the last two things, I think Addison Estrella is kind of showing out that he could be another great tight end for Iowa. Uh, He needs to work a little better on the blocking. I know he had a couple missed blocks, but he had a couple good blocks this game as well. And then uh, everyone's favorite uh, topic is the targeting um, I know the one on Jamari Harris, got. you know, they looked at that one, but there was a few more in the game, one against Caden Weijin on, on that kickoff where uh, he got hit high, which is definition of target, one of the definitions of targeting. So, um, Corey, you might remember, I know Dom would remember this, but I've heard some things of how to fix the targeting call. And one of the things I heard was, you, if you remember way back in the day, there was two types of face mask penalties. There was the 5-yard and the 15-yard. Face mask penalty. Do you remember those type of penalties, Don? I'm not sure. You
1: mean
8: so? So there was two types of face masks. I don't recall uh, two
1: different face mask penalties. Honestly,
8: there was a five yard and a fifteen yard. Uh, The fifteen yard was the personal foul where you kind of ripped the guy down. The five yard is like if you kind of like grabbed it but let go of it. Yeah. Uh, But then they then they did away with it and just everything's fifteen yards because you know, with some of these targetings, I think just sometimes there's just a bang-bang play like the one Iowa had against Minnesota, which they, you know, overturned, you know, after the game was over. It's one of those to where, you know, either you keep fine, you keep the 15-yard penalty, but you keep, the player can still play in the game, unless it's a flagrant. I mean, we have flagrant fouls in basketball. Why can't we have it in, in football as well, where, you know, if someone's really trying to, you know, put a hell of a hit on somebody and try to you know, really hurt them. There's, there's some, some things there that you can see. Granted, it's all subjective. Um, My one thing too, on, and I, I, I understand the targeting, but the last thing I'll say and I'll get off so other people can get on is that this is football. This is a contact sport. This is a violent sport. These players, when they sign up, they know what they're going to get into and I'm all for protecting the players with all the equipment and everything like that and trying to make sure they're not, you know, players aren't head hunting, so to speak, but, at some point, we just got to understand that this is a violent game. This is these things happen, and these players are not forced into playing. They they sign up, you know. When some of them are getting now, these college players are getting paid uh, with NIL. It's like okay, this is part of the sport. Again, there's certain things where they like if someone's really launching at somebody, like trying to hurt somebody, that's a different situation. But that's just my two cents on that.
0: You enforce it or you don't, Alex. And you can. It t- needs- got you can, hold on you can teach guys to not do what Jamari Harris did on that one play that's it's as simple as that you can play it's, the game without those types of hits that's why we have the targeting rule
8: it's it, need like you that. can you can train yeah you can train all like as a supervisor you can train your people to do the 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 a uh, process 100 times and they do the h- process 200 t- you know 100 times they get it right but there's one or two times where they screw it up mm-hmm. Yes. But so, so, and with football being such a fast paced sport, there is, you know, it's things like that will happen. Now that's where I talked about having two different types of targeting one where, where it's like, okay, it's still a 15 yard penalty. We want to eliminate it. But then it's like the player can still play in the game or if it's like, or, Hey, you really try to like head hunt here. It's a 15 yard penalty and you're out of the game.
0: Difference that's, between a flagrant one and a flagrant two. I agree. We agree on
8: that. Yeah. 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 So that's how I think we, we need to fix it is that it needs to come down to come down to like how, like the Jamar Harris, sure. 15 year penalty, but he stays in the game. Now, if it's a dip, like where he really like launches with his feet and with the crown of the helmet into the player, then it's like, okay, he, he launched, which is one part, but plus the crown of the helmet, then you could say, okay, that's two of the, the two of the three rules that we have that, that is definition of targeting. Okay. Since you broke two out of the three or Uh, met two of the three requirements for targeting then you're gone you know if it's just one then it's like okay hey you know defensive player crown of the helmet or a launch you know again it's a little subjective and you kind of have to leave it up to the official of the officials which you know as iowa has seen especially these last two games sometimes the officials are sometimes not the best people to leave it in that in the hands of so Oh, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. I, like I said, I had a few more, but I uh, I was just trying to make this real quick. So I know I tend to stay on here a little longer, but you're
0: fine. Appreciate you calling in, sir. Yep, thank you. All right, uh, a couple of super chats here to get to. Thank you, Erica. Very disappointed that the cowboy hat was returned to the rightful owner. Any chance you may borrow it again, Coach? Go Hawks! And uh, I won't read the other because I think I know what that stands for. But um, Don, uh, you you need to get a cowboy hat for yourself. Uh, I'm not going to wear mine tonight. If they somehow pull a shocker in Indy, I'll be running around the streets with that cowboy hat on. By the way, uh, well, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But I am curious to see how many people who are in the chat are headed to Indy next week. Thank you for the super chat, Erica. Big Bolivar says thanks for the best show available any place, Corey and Don. I'm sad it's a shorter one tonight. Go Hawks. Well, thank you, Big Boliver. We're still going to be here for like two plus hours in total. <laughs> so, I mean, anyways, yeah, I know we're used to three to four hour shows, but uh, thank you for the super chat, Big Boliver. Do appreciate that. And Michael, also with the super chat. Thank you, Michael. I- Iowa averages less than 250 yards a game, and yet they're a stupid ref fair catch away from having a chance to go to the playoff. Yes. That speaks a lot to the entire team and what they've accomplished so far this year. That's very much true. And frankly, if Iowa somehow beats Ohio State or Michigan, Don, and they do so in impre- you know in impress- impressive fashion, which won't happen. But if that somehow happened, Don, here's what I would urge the playoff committee to do. I would urge the playoff committee to go back and watch the end of that Minnesota game. Right. And I know that's going to be the Iowa homer in me. I would urge them to do that. Let's just focus on what happens tomorrow with Ohio state and Michigan and enjoy a 10 and two season before we get our hearts ripped out a week and a day from now, let's go to our next caller. We've got Adam on hold. Adam, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, Corey, Don, happy belated Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a good one with the family and friends. Uh, Chad kind of jumped in on what, what I was thinking. First of all, hell of a call to put in Marshall meter, you yeah. know, First kick at Iowa. I was looking up his stats while I was on hold. Showed he was at Central Michigan. had a had a good career there, two or three years of kicking pretty consistently. So uh, to to hear that that uh, decision was made at halftime makes a little bit more sense because I was going to ask Don from a special teams decision when you throw in the backup kicker. Does that from the special teams coach, or is that a you know final sign off from the head coach?
1: Final decision on the part of the head coach but okay, i
4: would that makes sense
1: yeah if i were in that spot i would i would for sure ask give me some input before i decide i want to hear what you think
4: because yeah great. absolutely gutsy One call
1: Levar an expert at what he does
4: no i think he uh, i think he did a good job i think you know you look at blocking on those kicks uh you know we had two kickoffs go out of bounds two block kicks that they looked like low trajectory kicks so uh, i wouldn't completely blame the blocking on those uh, field goal attempts, right. these low trajectory kicks. So uh, awesome to see that guy game kick the game winner, whether he was a little bit over the crossbars or not. Uh, Absolutely. Guts Here's an situation. example that Tough. some
1: people can relate Tough. to maybe. It's a little bit like the putter that gets the gets the yips. You know, the golfer that can't sink a three-foot putt, you know, because he missed one. And if you miss one, you're more likely to miss another and another and another. And so it's a little bit like that. So what do you do? You go to the practice green and you start yeah, making putts left and right. And that's exactly what Drew's going to do this week. I'm sure he's going to regain his confidence between now and next Saturday. I would predict that's what will happen.
4: Nope. I think he needs it. You know, Corey mentioned earlier about the $5 back nine. I gave up a a 18. 18- Whole course, you know, 158 t time to watch this game today. So uh, I must be crazy, You're just a out of hand Hawkeye fan. But uh, I gave up a 70 degrees Texas weather to watch the Hawkeyes come down to the last minute. So I think it was a a good uh, rain rain check on that round of golf. Uh, but secondly, I was thinking of, and this is minutia, but at the same point, seeing Brian Ferentz on the sideline wearing a black. Uh, Black hoodie, black stock and cap, clearly trying to make a point as far as, you know, whether it's a death march to the end or he's not gonna support the university. With university that's given him, um, you know, I don't know what he makes, nine hundred thousand dollars a year for seven years. He's made close to probably seven million dollars before taxes and you know, to kinda of, it comes across to me as disrespectful for a, a man that's been supported by the university, giving him all the opportunities in the world to uh have that chance to become offensive coordinator, run game coordinator, offensive line coach. I think he's a good position coach. He, you know, didn't meet expectations as offensive coordinator, but it also kind of feels like a slap in the face um, from a Hawkeye standpoint, a fan standpoint to see him sitting on the, not wearing any Hawkeye gear, not, not representing the university. Um, from a position that, you know, I know in the NFL, you wear the wrong type of socks there's the fine, you know, if you don't do any type of, you know, uniform, what the expectation standard is that they find you, whether it's $5,000, whatever it might be from a, from a college standpoint, is there any rules in effect that you need to wear team apparel, um, official merchandise from the university?
1: Well, if you're a Nike school, you're certainly not going to show up with Reebok gear because you will get in trouble over that. Um, I would hope that if it's if it's been done, uh, if it's a conscious decision by Brian, I hope that's not the case. Um, it seems it seems juvenile. It seems petty.
0: Well, it's, yeah. I, it's very clear. I didn't address it two weeks ago, but it's very clear that since the announcement came down, he has wore nothing but black clothing with no for no obvious logos. That is clear now. So. I can't imagine that it's been done unintentionally, Don. And I'm not saying I don't understand some of Brian's frustration for how some of that was handled from people, I think, even above Beth Getz, I understand there's two sides of this whole thing. I think a lot of us, most of us, probably all of us agree that Brian needed to move on after the year. Some people have argued that it should not have been done when it was done during the season. Why that occurred? Again, who does the blame fall on? I, I, I agree with Adam to a large extent. I, I, I just it's unfortunate that. You know, he's a Hawkeye, right? And right. I, I imagine being in that position. I'd like to think that if I was in Brian's position, even though I'm talking out of turn here, if I was in Brian's position, that I would wear Hawkeye stuff and just be black and bleed black and gold right down to the last second I'm in that office, regardless of what my superiors have decided to do. Right. I'm also, we're talking about clothing here.
4: <laughs> yeah, talking- I'm, I'm muckraking. Clearly I'm, I'm muckraking, but... At the same point, he's cashed a check now for qu- quite a bit for a large amount. Uh, respect the university, respect the brand. Um, you know, like I said, it's minutia. but at the same point, when you, you get to put on the cameras every 15 minutes with a, a dumb look on his face trying to figure out what he should have done on that last third down. So it's just disappointing statement i was trying to make is you know we understand you're upset you didn't want to be fired you were given plenty of opportunity to uh the ship and you didn't do it and i think they still any other offensive coordinator as we've seen throughout the year would uh given their you know pink slip in in week after the game and we've given you the opportunity to go to the big 10 championship game go to a you know january first bowl we're giving you every opportunity to kind of stick it in our face and say hey look you made the wrong decision and for him to kind of go out there every day in his blacked-out attire, it, it just comes across disrespectful. But uh, it's either here nor there, but it's a, a conversation point I wanted to bring up. And uh, finally, seeing the defense blitz to the right side on that right tackle side, I don't know if it was the field side or the short side of the field, but you kind of saw it there consistently towards the end of the game. They are kind of taking away trouble uh, Chubba Purdy's opportunity to kind of roll out to the right and make a Game plan. I know uh, we got uh, Phil got a lot of heat for that first half, end of the first half. Uh, fake blitz from the kind of put him out of position to cover over the top. But I think uh, you trust in Phil, as we say, uh, ten points against any any team in the nation's a, a great game. He calls it a great game, but I think some of those uh, end of the game changes that he made were a, a big part in the victory. The putting the defensive lineman back in the zone, Hercut making the huge play. Uh, it's exciting. I think we're all excited to see what we can do. Um, so that that's kind of what I was going to talk about. It, it's funny that we can make such a quick hook on the kicker. And, you know, we're, we're going to keep trotting out a quarterback, you know, throwing 35% his first couple of games and obviously not being strong with the ball. Um, video or video chat that I had with Corey was last talking about, uh, Petrus and uh, you know his lack of moxie and at one point he was so conservative with the ball. I think it was Wisconsin a couple years ago. He threw the ball out of bounds on a fourth right. down instead of forcing it in traffic. He threw it out of bounds. So you know that I I think Kirk loves that. I think that's the type of quarterback that they want. But for them to keep trotting out Deacon Hill, who's you know turnover prone, uh, had had a couple missteps today. The the goal line toss to the running back as he was falling. It's great. Uh, nice little in game, change up when he gets stepped on, not moving his feet well. But it was just surprising we can make such a quick hook of a kick that quick, but we keep trotting out a quarterback that's prone to turnovers for six games now. And we don't they act like we don't have an option on the bench when we saw Labus win the Kentucky game and Marco Linez shows the you know some opportunity there to grow. But uh that that was kind of the point I was making. We're a quick hook on the kicker, but we'll let a quarterback tried out their six games in a row and not really show much growth. So appreciate the time guys. I know you have a short, short time today, but go Hawks.
0: Thank you, Adam. All good points, I think. Valid points from Adam and valid criticism.
1: Corey, let me make one other point regarding coaching gear. I flash back on something I always told the players, and it'll make sense when you think about it. I always told them if you don't look like your teammates with how you dress, then you're wrong. You know, we're a football team and maybe you have an option of whether to wear black shoes or white shoes, you know, depending on the playing surface. But in general, uh, you don't you don't show up with a pair of gold shoes just because you want to look different than all your teammates. You know, um, I always used to explain to the players, I want you to look like all everyone else on your team, and that's why we give you a, a unique jersey number so your mom and dad can identify where you are out there on the field or on the bench, whatever the case might be. But there is an argument. Coaches always use that argument with players. You need to look like your teammates. This is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. So dress for success, which means wear the same coach, wear the same playing gear that all your teammates are wearing. Don't show up with some kind of rogue outfit because it's not – if you want to look different than everybody else, then – be a tennis player or a golfer. Maybe they'll allow you to do it on the tennis court, but not not in the football game. You need to look like your teammates.
0: Scott with the Super Chat. Thank you, Scott Jensen. Agree with the comments about the value of the show. Keep it up, Coach and Corey. Thank you, Scott. Do appreciate you being here and, and do appreciate your Super Chat, your uh, contribution. Brian with the Venmo donation. He says, sorry if this has been covered, just got here, but I think the play calling was terrible. First and second down runs following, followed by a third and long pass multiple times drew had a bad game brian didn't uh, give him any help in the least you guys are the best in go hawks thank you brian i could see that perspective there were a lot of runs on first and second down i thought there were a couple of really well-timed calls uh, for example the uh, the little shovel pass i think maybe our previous caller brought that up don i thought that was obviously a nice yep. nice play call um it was kind of an option shovel pass right uh, where he's holding the ball, at least giving the illusion that he could either run or hand off to his, to the back, to his right. He ends up shoveling it to uh, a stringer for the first down. They were better.
1: There was, was going to keep the ball.
0: No, I agree, but there, there was, I will give Iowa credit. They were a lot better in the first half in general on critical downs. They came into this game dead last in the big 10 critical down conversion, including third down conversion. And, uh, they were a lot better closer to, I think 50% or better in the first half. Uh, but, uh, Yeah, fair point. And um, also uh, Chris with the Super Chat. Thank you, Chris. He says, thanks for a great season. Don, since you know Kirk on a personal level, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on if Kirk could retire after this great year. What motivates Kirk to keep going?
1: You know, Kirk and I talk on a weekly basis, but it's always about analytics. It's never about what might happen at the end of the season. We haven't had any discussions like that. I do know... That uh, he and all kinds of other head coaches are are frustrated with um, the transfer portal and NIL and and um, a player's tendency nowadays to want to go somewhere else if things aren't going great. That's just a, a comment on on young people today. I think they're more likely. You see this in high schools. You see a lot of students. I'm not just talking about athletes, but Students, if they're a little bit unhappy, at one school, they simply transfer to another school. Uh, in the old days, that really didn't happen so much. You know, you went to one school and you made it work. And um, I just hate that young people have a tendency to to, um, to simply go somewhere else rather than confront a problem, address a problem, and take steps to solve it.
0: So, uh in answer to his question, Don, you think, you think we're good to get Kirk back next year? Is there a chance?
1: That- well, all I can really go by is what Kirk has already publicly stated. He said, uh, "I'm not ready to retire, and I hope no one's ready for me to retire." So I have every intention of coming back. He said that publicly, and I think we should take it for, for, um, for gospel because Kirk's not in the business of trying to fool the general public.
0: Thank you for the super chat, Chris springtime. This is Alex mm-hmm. says I forgot to add that uh, targeting should be enforced on the offense too. a lot of running backs lower their helmet when running. I don't have a problem with that. I know some people wouldn't like that, but I have no problem with that. Every time protecting players. Thank you, Alex, for the super chat and Eric. Appreciate the super chat. Eric, this is spot on. Brian is protesting protesting. What keep his job despite his obvious shortcomings. Fair points. By the way, we talked about, uh, critical downs don how about this first half for iowa they were 6 of 12 on critical downs second half you want to guess what their number was
1: maybe over
0: 1 for 7 yeah. 6 of 12 in the first half 1 for 7 in the second half clear difference on critical downs i don't know if you saw something different that nebraska was doing on critical downs it seemed like pass protection got a little bit worse as the game went on uh, i thought play calling was maybe a little bit better in the first half but uh, you know again um, Got the job done. Whether that be credit to Brian and Kirk or whoever, it's it, you got to credit to Kirk certainly. And the offense was able to get down the field, put Iowa in a position for that game-winning field goal by Meter. Uh, we're gonna have to hit this real quick. We got about 15 minutes left in the show. Let's go to our next caller. We've got Dave on our Iowa Smokehouse call-in line. Dane, Dave, welcome.
9: Hey, hey, how's it going, guys? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Just having a, a good holiday in uh, in Minnesota. Okay. Uh just going to make it quick. I'm going to make it quick. You know I'm a diehard Gopher fan. Ah. Uh, but uh, I'm going to make it quick. So if Kurt decides to retire, who would you like as a coach? There's one person I really think that I would should look at if Kurt decides to retire. And that is the Wyoming coach, the guy is doing really well at Wyoming, and he was the former coach of North Dakota State when North Dakota started North Dakota State, getting there to be a powerhouse in what was once called one A Now it's Bull Subdivision. But uh, what would you guys like?
0: Craig Bull. Yeah, I would rather than make a pursuit for Bob Stoops in his, in his lunar years. But uh, Don, you have a name out there if you had to make a coaching hire right now?
1: No, not really. Uh, you know, I can comment on certain coaches as being outstanding versus other coaches. I'm not so sure, but I don't have um, if if Bobby would agree to do it uh, and I would simply ask Bobby, I don't even know how old Bobby is now. If Bobby would say, "I'll give you four years we'll we'll get this thing in even better shape than what it's in right now, and then we'll turn it over to somebody else, and for that matter, I'll hire a couple of coordinators that'll be great head coaching candidates in four years. If Bobby would agree to do that, because I know how Bobby loves this school, I'd be inclined to hire somebody like Bobby Stoops because Bobby knows how to be a head coach. And, and let's face it, he would have a lot of clout in terms of recruiting. And, and part of the, part of the, um, the reason that Hayden had success is because Hayden was a well-known coach even before he came to Iowa. And that helped us to recruit Texas for sure uh and um, and of course he proved himself in coaching at iowa too as an outstanding coach so that gives you a chance to recruit better players players in general want to play for a guy that they can identify as a great coach there's no doubt that kirk's success has helped us to recruit better players because young men like the idea of playing for a coach that, that they can really be proud of and be respectful to
0: thank you for the call dave appreciate that and kind of kind of cut that call short we're going to kind of cut all of our calls short but appreciate you calling in and it's going to be a fair topic if something does happen with head coaching position jackson's on our iowa smokehouse call online jackson welcome
10: how's it going gents good how are you sir i'm doing great Corey and coach it's an honor meeting you for the first time ever
1: well nice to talk to you jackson where are you from
10: i'm from alabama
1: alabama good for you i went i went to flight school years ago at fort rucker
10: Oh, man, that's pretty cool.
1: You know where Fort Record is, don't you?
10: I don't think so. It's
1: somewhere. It's in the southern part
10: of the state. Oh, wow. I'll have to go there one of these days. I I will say it was a great game I saw today, and I did see that the Frost curse is still continuing at Nebraska. I mean, that that interception, that was the turning point of the whole ball game right there
0: that's we've just kind of come to expect it. And I saw our guy, Mark Rogers tweet out after the game, uh, this again, just to be expected in a game like this. Uh, let me find, uh, Mark's tweet here, Don. He said, classic Iowa, classic Nebraska, one score wins, one score loses or one score wins, one score losses. Uh, Fair. I mean, even under Matt Rule so far, they have been turnover prone. They lose close games, and Iowa eats that alive. That's why I've said, that's why I said all the week. And I said today, even when it was 10 to 10, ask anybody who was texting me, I said, they're going to win this game. I was winning this game. And I almost almost got a little nervous with that pick, but uh, they won.
10: Well, I will say, um, coach. What does Iowa need to get better at going into the Big Ten title game?
1: Well.
0: Thanks for the call, Jackson. i got to cut you loose here, but that's a good question. Eight, what do they have got to,
1: eight days to solve it.
0: I know. What do they have to do to. to
1: well, from a kicking standpoint, we need to be sure that Drew Stevens uh, returns to his old form. Um, we need to continue to be uh, as as effective as we can in, in, in winning field position, which means here's another guy needs to regain his all form. We haven't talked about it, but Torrey did not have a great day today. And I realize he's punting into the wind sometimes, but the ball wasn't carrying very well. And I know it's a cold day and all that, but it was an off day for, off day for Torrey too, except for holding. Holding, he was he was more than worth his weight and go just with his, his ability to to put a ball in position to be kicked.
0: But it is a, it is a cold day, not making excuses, but that that could explain some of the struggles from from Drew and Tori. It's a cold day and that ball is rock hard. True. Uh, Michael Takahashi, thank you Michael for becoming a YouTube member. Yes, uh, memberships are available. Click the little join button if you're interested. Appreciate you supporting the show that way, Michael. For being here, Eric wants to know if I'm going live after the women's game. Yes, after the men and the women are done, i will be going live for a duel multi-purpose postgame show uh, after that one uh, wayfair of the wilderness thank you for this this season's postgame shows have been great bringing tom in to join coach and Corey is great win or lose here on out it's been a memorable season thank you sir appreciate you being here and let's go back to our iowa smokehouse call in line with kyle on.
11: Kyle, welcome good evening guys what's up oh, kyle? another uh, another typical hawkeye win and another typical corn huskers loss you <laughs> wouldn't have it any other way right I know. Um, First thing, real quick, before I get into Iowa, Um, Matt Rule was five and three at one point in the season. He's now five and six. Uh, They didn't hit bowl eligibility. They had two non-conference games that were basically freebie wins. Their other non-conference game was against Colorado, who turned out to be not very good. What's your? I know I'm not advocating for him to be gone or anything, but how do you evaluate that first year? Because I certainly thought they would be a little bit better, and I think moving forward they will be better too. But how do you evaluate his first year?
0: While you're thinking about it, Don, let me just say something. I have a lot of respect for Matt Rule, based on what you've said, uh, Don, based on how I know Kirk Ferentz views Matt Rule, I will say this. I am confounded by his viewpoint of waist downs as well. That's just one thing. I was confounded when he made his comments earlier in the year about waist downs, and he is in the minority. He and Brian are in the minority. I just want to make that clear. Um, So I was a little bit surprised by that. I'm also surprised by a couple of different decisions, including – a couple of gaffes one one, which that uh, cost him a timeout there, uh, where they were going to call a potential fake field goal from like sixty yards into the wind. I don't understand that. There's some things about Matt Rule that I don't quite get, but uh, he's a breath of fresh air compared to Scott Frost. Don,
1: I agree. He's a he's a man I can respect, and I uh, I'll say I didn't have nearly as much respect for Scott Frost.
11: I agree. Um, I think I mean, what an incredible regular season with the ten wins. Um, I was looking through some numbers. so i d- I didn't end up sending it to you, Corey, but um, I had a little spreadsheet I was working on about two weeks ago right before the Rutgers game, and it was absolutely crazy to me because I put up the numbers of Iowa this year prior to the Rutgers game. The reason why I didn't send it to you was obviously the Rutgers game altered all the stats favorably, right? But um, I had a spreadsheet with all the all the numbers on it between. Um, it was comparing Iowa this year versus Northwestern's one and eleven offense the year uh, prior, and you basically couldn't tell a difference between the two teams. And that Iowa, that Northwestern team had one win. This Iowa team has ten wins. Uh, I think one of the other really confounding things, if even if you compare, because Iowa's obviously obviously been doing this for a little while now. The last really three years in a row have been bad offensively, and they've still managed to win. In seven games last year but 10 games uh, in 2021 10 games this year so far. Mm-hmm. Iowa in 20 if you go back to 2021 they had an offense that um, the offense gained i think 50 it was like 55 yards a game more mm-hmm. and they were plus 12 on turnovers that team was. this Iowa team is minus three on turnovers this year. And even last year, when they went seven and five, they were plus uh, six or seven, I think, on turnovers. And maybe that that minus three, may be before the Nebraska game, I was looking at it on ESPN. So maybe it's minus one after today. But either way, very uncharacteristic of them to not only lose the turnover battle, but also to have so much so much, so much winning. Really, a season should be 11-1 when they're minus on the turnovers. Does that what What's your reaction to that stat?
0: Pretty incredible. I think, pretty incredible. They've managed to overcome that.
11: Because they they average, they average even less yards than they did last year, and they're 10 turnovers worse, basically, than last year. Almost one turnover a game worse.
1: Let me talk about turnover margin as it relates to this game. Here's what you're not aware of, probably. Uh, and I only became aware of it uh, after I turned in the analytics. Uh, this much I did know, all five teams that had beaten Nebraska in conference play, all five – had won on on turnover margin. The unusual aspect of that, when I looked at all eight games, the other three teams that lost to Nebraska also won on turnover margin. Here's what will surprise you, though, Kyle, maybe a little bit will surprise you. There were five of those eight games where, believe it or not, the opponent was only plus one. They won on turnovers, but by by the smallest possible margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of those five teams actually uh, lost to Nebraska, even though they were plus one. Yeah. The other two won, and obviously the other uh, the other three teams also won. They ended up five and three, right? Uh, uh three and five. Three, three and five, and then five and six. Five teams beat them. My point is, eight teams beat them on turnovers. But here's the difference, and I made sure that the coaches understood this. I said, being plus one is not not enough. You need to have the mindset. We need to win on at least plus two. Need to be at least plus two in the game to win because plus one this year, Nebraska in those five games when they were only minus one as, as a football team, they actually won the game. They won three out of five games when when the opponent was plus one. So my, my message to the coaching staff was one is not good enough. You need to be plus two or better. And isn't it ironic, Corey, that we were in fact plus two? That was the final margin.
11: And there were there were a lot of plays in this game. I Sounds thought right.
1: plays, plus one doesn't get it done. You got better.
11: Yeah, I thought there were. I thought there were. I thought there could have been seven or eight turnovers in this game. I mean, Chubba Purdy just blatantly dropped the ball on the one play, in Iowa had four or five chances at it before the Nebraska player picked it up.
1: You know, one thing to me about Chubba is he said doesn't know how to carry a football even he's running around waving it around like it's like it's a christmas ornament or something in his hands he, he runs and in, even league. when he
11: was scrambling like he he never really to me tucked the ball and turned into a runner he, he held the ball with two he hands has like no he was concept still of ball
1: security yeah and in that regard yeah. isn't here's how I'd look at it in that regard I blame the coach you know the coach you gotta change that It didn't change yet so that should be on the coach You got to do a better Um, job of coaching him because that's no way to carry a football.
11: Yeah. Kyle, I got to
0: let you slide. Hopefully you're calling later, but uh, we got basketball ahead. so.
11: Okay. No problem.
0: Sounds good, sir. Thank you.
11: Talk soon. All
0: right. A couple things. Uh, I've had a few in the chat. Uh, I saw Erica was on here. She just jumped off. So uh, we're going to look at our – I'm going to kind of guide this, Don, because I've got about – Five minutes before I've got to uh, get this basketball game on. Rappers and rabbis, okay. question for Coach Don. How do you prepare for a team that you know is a lot better than you? Is uh, is it different than business as usual, Don? Give me a one-sentence answer to that.
1: One-sentence answer? Uh, prepare to throw the kitchen sink at him.
0: That's a good one. Uh, I love Mitch in the chat. He says, uh, Brian Farron should wear Iowa State clothing with how you treated him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Kirk should leave, and so should this commentator. I think he's talking about me. Um, yes, uh, we should. they should be out, absolutely outraged. Outraged, Mitch. I'm just as outraged as you are. All right. Uh, Jack in the chat. Coach, what would you do if your eye was OC to beat Michigan, Ohio State? I think we just answered that. Throw the kitchen sink. Uh, Rick, I love this comment here. Heard a rumor from the Cornhuskers that they're going to the family bowl tonight for pizza and loads of fun. i love it uh rex says i've not been so freaked out by an iowa football game they did nothing in the second half who is this new punter did stevens get benched well first of all rex there was no new punter it was still tory taylor uh stevens uh, did get benched and it was uh meter marshall meter the transfer from central michigan that came in late matt uh, question i noticed on both block kicks nebraska had seven guys in the line on one side of the ball is that legal in college it is not in the nfl
1: I think it's, for what I know, it's perfectly legal.
0: Uh, Charles says, what's up with Caleb Brown? I see Jeremy, what's with Caleb Brown's injury? Sounds like potentially uh, he'll be back next week. He was on the field late today. Uh, BJ says, it's funny that Iowa fans complain about not being aggressive, and then when we are aggressive, you complain. Well, first of all, BJ, it's all about time and score, all right? Third and long with with Deacon Hill at quarterback and – on the minus side of the field is not a time, in my opinion, to be aggressive when you've got overtime looming and that almost costs them. So it's all, it's not just a matter of are you aggressive or are you not. That's what's so one of the big problems with society, Don, is everything is so black and white. And I'm not just talking about BJ, but everything mm. is black and white. You can't have it both. You, there's no balance. We always talk about balance. There's no balance. Uh, MC says, How can we watch the Iowa women's game? It's on flowhoops.com. Got to spend like 30 bucks, but I'm probably going to do it because I, you know, do a post-game show. Uh, Christopher says, any predictions on the score for the uh, Big Ten Championship game? I will be coming out with that later in the week after I see who wins the game tomorrow. Jet Pilot, what are the opinions on the timekeeper not starting the clock? A blunder that I would think could have been corrected, but it was not, Don.
1: Well, I, I blame the officials. There's one official for sure that should have been able to detect the fact that the clock had not had not started. Uh, and he should be held accountable for not not doing his job as well as he needs to.
0: William says, Coach, should Iowa approach the championship game with business-as-usual approach on offense or be as unpredictable as ever and see what happens?
1: We need to be more unpredictable than ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. Seahawks uh, Sea money. Don, is Michigan uh, prone to exhaustion or fatigue from this constant barrage of controversy?
1: I don't think so. I think it's their rally cry. Uh, I, I, don't, I think they'll use it all the way through. However many games they end up getting to play.
0: And Erica, final super chat of the evening. How could Brian dare not wear Iowa gear? I mean, there's nothing else to worry about, right? <laughs> there's a little bit of cynicism, sarcasm, I think, there from Erica. Erica, thank you. And again, uh, Iowa defeating Nebraska here 13-10. to Want to give a shout-out to our sponsors, Brad Meter and his team down at State Farm. Thank you, Brad, for being with us throughout the year and support the show by supporting our sponsors. Call Brad for a free insurance quote. Rates have never been this low on auto insurance. Give Brad a call at 515-256-6480 or online at bradbadmeter.com. You can also visit him in person at 4229- Fluor Drive in Des Moines. Plus, Iowa Smokehouse Tasting is believing with their awesome beef sticks, their their jerky, their steak bites. You'll never need to look anywhere else for game day and snacking needs. Use the code Hawkeyes at iowasmokehouse.com for fifteen percent off your order. You'll get free shipped sh- free shipping, excuse me, on fifty dollar orders. Iowa Smokehouse Tasting is believing. Also, want to thank uh, RTI Threads. Been talking about them all season. I've got the Cooper DeGene CD three. Uh, logo apparel on this evening. Get yours right now at cd3lacesup.com. But how about Carson Shire with a big game on special teams today? And he is part of the future at linebacker. Aaron Graves had a big game. Aiden Hall, Zach Lutmer are in the wings. View all of RTI Threads apparel and merch line at RTIThreads.com. That's RTIThreads.com. And speaking of RTI Threads, our player of the game is Marshall Meter. Who would have expected the player of the game would be Marshall Meter? (laughs) At a game-winning field goal, as time expires, it's hard not to name him. RTI Threads player of the game. And again, thank you to RTI Threads. Uh, We've got uh, Iowa women's basketball and Iowa men's basketball. Iowa Seton Hall. uh, This says USC, but it's actually, let's correct that so everybody's aware. It's actually uh, Seton Hall because USC did beat Seton Hall. The men looking to bounce back today after a rough showing yesterday against Oklahoma. That game about to to tip off on Fox. And then at 6.30 p.m. Central time, it's the women taking on Purdue Fort Wayne in their holiday week tournament. That game will be shown exclusively on Flow Hoops. Don, the Hawks are 10-2. We're going to be talking about a uh, trip to the championship game. I'm sure you and I will probably try to get together for some sort of a preview prior to uh, Indianapolis. But uh, thank you for being here throughout another really enjoyable regular season. I always enjoy the few hours we get to talk on Saturdays, and uh, we'll look forward to a couple more.
1: I'll do the same, Kurt. It's always a pleasure, Corey.
0: All right, folks, for Coach Don Patterson and Tom Kaker of HawkeyeReport.com, I'm Corey Brada from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Join me in a little bit following the men and the women. Basketball postgame coming up later this evening. And, of course, lots of football coverage down the road as well. We'll talk to you soon.